I mean, you can still kick people's teeth in while while they're learning the game. I guess that's fair, <laughs> but do I take a five model army at five hundred points or a twenty three model army at five hundred points? What's the five model army? Custodes and the the, the twenty three is sisters. Is the five it, okay? Is the five unit patrol like a shield captain, a unit of three guardians, and a telemon? You're correct. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if yeah, it's... I would take the sisters. <laughs> yeah. At 500 points, the tel- if you're not wanting to kick people's teeth in at 500 points, taking the Telemon is probably a bad idea. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that has no exit strategy. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. <laughs> and yeah, if it sounds like we're still going, yeah. that's because <laughs> it's been 10 years, baby. 10 years this month. This is our 10th anniversary episode. Uh, <sighs> yeah, April 17th, 2011 is allegedly when the podcast started. Yeah. I, I don't recognize that date, but that's just me well that's that's <laughs> yeah. because that podcast was, really started much later i was say that was before <laughs> your time um and actually uh we Pod- do have podcast a- got good later <laughs> <laughs> that's not fair it's never gotten good <laughs> <laughs> this is this is true <laughs> um yeah so this is going to be a little bit of everything. There's there's no huge plan for this episode. We've, we've got some suggestions from listeners, and we're going to kind of just roll with it. Uh, we also have, uh, in the middle of the show, we'll have a bunch of audio clips from listeners, some of which are people who are just fans of the show, some of which are guests we've had. We even have a former host. So. Woohoo! What? Yeah, there was there was a no, no, you're not being replaced. (laughs) It's who you replaced. We actually managed to get hold of John and get some audio. We were going to try to get him on the show, but he he was uh, unavailable this morning. And actually, we tried to uh, bring in a lot of past guests for the show. (laughs) And it's like everyone we talked to is like, no, I'm playing in a GT this weekend. I'm like, "Uh, oh, (laughs) yeah, this this is like the first weekend that events are back. So. I, I get it. I understand why people would rather do that. <laughs> no, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> we'll be doing stuff like that ourselves before too long, uh, because now we have 100% more disease immunity, as Richard and Dennis, you have had your first shots. Yep. yep. And so we're actually looking at, here here in Kansas City, we're looking at Memorial Day weekend as a weekend we can get together and actually like do some honest-to-goodness gaming. So... Uh, we're excited for that. <laughs> but yeah, today's episode has no massive plan other than as kind of a celebration because, hey, 10 years is a big milestone, especially in podcasting. You know, It really is. I remember also the last episode I can think of where we had really no plan. It was our wonderful um, build train while talking around a mic episode. <laughs> ah, so good. <laughs> see, see you, you overestimate how much of a plan I actually have. <laughs> 
there's a lot of episodes where the plan is here's the topic, let's go. Um, but that's a little bit of insight. Hey, I think that shows that in our work. Yeah. I think that shows in our work. <laughs> this is a quality operation, let me tell you. But <sighs> but we must be doing something right because ten years later people are still listening. So Yeah. Well, I mean it's and not thank like you all for still listening. It's not like our math homework where we do have to show our work. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that is fair. That is fair. Although there like there will have a little bit of like uh behind behind the curtain discussion on this. Uh, but uh yeah. This is just going to be a, another fun kind of ramble. And uh, thanks to GW, we actually don't have a lot of structure today anyway, because as far as news and new releases, um, there aren't any. So you're saying GW gave their, their blessing that we could do this? Yeah, that's one way to look <laughs> at it. Uh, yeah. I, I think that this is part of GW's way of honoring us, our 10th anniversary, <laughs> to like give us this space to talk about ourselves rather than them for once. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy it's gonna be one of those episodes isn't it it is <laughs> yep. oh man yeah if, you, if you're oh. looking for anything <sighs> deep to, to deep or informative yeah. turn away now <laughs> yeah i don't i don't think there's going to be anything of value in this episode but it'll be fun <laughs> we we do have listener mail that's true that's we do have listener mail we do okay have listener- fair the listeners are picking up our slack today yes <laughs> Listeners have been picking up our slack since like episode 127 because I believe that's the epi- the first episode where we did listen like de- dedicated a whole like that was one where we dedicated like the whole second half of the episode to listener mail yeah and then it just became and then it became just a thing we worked into every episode and I and I I've loved it I it's it's been a it's felt like a good way to to connect with the community and and get a feel for what people are interested in but exactly absolutely yeah but yeah games workshop uh and this is probably a i'm my theory is this is a little bit of uh fallout from the craziness that happened with the uh, warhammer quest cursed city box and some other releases they've had where there have been delays there have been uh reduced allocations to stores and also you know with like recurring lockdowns and things like that it they're probably just taking a moment to kind of recenter and get everything queued up so they can start getting back to a regular release schedule mm-hmm. no I, I think so too because like you know the bellacor model has been sold out everywhere like curse city was immediately sold out it's it's been difficult to get some of the newer models that they've put out recently anyway so i i think this is definitely them pausing to be able to kind of do a reset and get back to normal operations hopefully sooner than later yeah and they said it's for a, over the next couple of weeks so for all we know they might have something up by the end of the episode although i doubt it considering that they had bellacora for pre-order last week yeah i think they specifically said they wouldn't have any more pre-orders until may which that could be just you know basically this week and next week but yeah yeah, okay, new pre-orders returning in May, yeah. So, so yeah, we're just enjoying this kind of, a little bit of a breather. And admittedly, that even with, like, the interruptions, they've had a pretty steady release schedule. And, they, you know, it's with some big stuff coming out. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I'm not going to begrudge them a chance to, you know, catch up and take a breath. And especially, again, with everything that's been going on, it's, you know, occasionally you just have to do that. 
but like I said, that gives us a chance to uh, to talk about you know do more listener mail and talk about ourselves today. I will say I do like the uh, previews that they did from uh, Iron Within. Yeah, like that was what I was going to mention next. I think that's that was very cool. Some of the stuff they're showing off on the animation. I'm I'm excited for this an- this Warhammer animation stuff. Like I hope it comes out sooner than later. Agreed. But they're uh, you know they're leaning hard into it. So uh, and I'm here for it. So I'm I'm excited. But yeah, let's just go ahead and get right into listener mail. And we actually have a decently full uh, mailbag this uh, episode. So we'll just get right into it. So first up, we have a letter from Bart von Hastrecht, and Bart writes, Hi, Rob, and lesser preferred enemies. I, I want to take a pause here. You guys aren't lesser. <laughs> did put a winky face. He did put a winky face. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know that I disagree. <laughs> we all suck equally. There you go. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> Anyway, Bart continues. (laughs) I recently came into possession of the Imperial Armor Compendium, and as I was browsing through the data sheets, I came across something potentially very interesting. The data sheet for Hecaton Iacos has a pretty nice special ability called Stampeding Fury, which states, each time this model makes a charge move, you can select one enemy unit within engagement range of it. Roll a d6, adding one to the roll if that unit has a vehicle keyword. On a three to five, that unit... The enemy, that enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. On a six-up, that enemy unit suffers D, D3 mortal wounds. I'm not a Minotaurs player, but the ability still struck me. Sure, it's nice to be able to do some more mortal wounds here and there, but the thing that struck me is that apparently you can make a charge move while already in engagement range. I'm primarily a guard player, and having a squad of Bulgren charging their way through enemy ranks just gets me all fizzy in certain areas. As experienced TOs, how would you deal with this ability? So, yeah, the... Let's see. I've got my Imperial Armor Compendium right here. Make sure that that is the... Yeah. Okay, page 16. Yeah, each yeah time I've this, got it pulled up as well. Yeah, each time and this model makes a charge move, you can select one enemy unit within engagement range of it. Uh, I believe that generally means, like, post-charge move? Yes. That is that is how I would rule it, is that you would be able to make a charge, because you cannot make a charge if you're currently in engagement range. And at the end of the charge move you get to immediately make a roll to see if you deal mortal wounds on the charge. Right. And I'll double check that there's any FAQs for that. Uh, the only, they have an errata on him. He's an HQ now, but uh, hmm. yeah, other than that, yeah, there's no real F, you know, FAQs or clarifications on it. But yeah, that generally, that's what I would take that to mean is like, not while you're in engagement range, because you can't actually, like, if you're in engagement range, you can't charge. Well, and the other thing I would I would specify as well is that this is not a, this is a model-specific ability. This is not a Minotaur's ability. So this is only for this specific Contemptor Dreadnought. So you wouldn't be able to transfer it to a squadron of Bulgren or, you know, any of the other units to be able to do this. This is a model-specific thing. Um, be, and to represent how like this model behaves, so it, it is a very limited thing. I, I agree. I think it's would be very neat to have that ability to transfer to like other units, but it is specifically for this one model or any model with this rule. 
Yeah, because, I mean, the rules specifically say units that have advanced or fallen back this battle round, units that's, or units that start the charge phase within engagement range of any enemy unit. So, obviously, yeah, he cannot make yeah. a charge move then. But it would be part of the charge move possibility. Yeah, because at the end of a charge move, you end in engagement range. Right. So, when you get to the end of your charge move, you then pick one of the units that is within your engagement range to make your... Uh, stampeding fury attacks quote-unquote attacks you know you roll the dice and then you see if it if it generates mortal wounds um and then you would proceed to the fight phase as normal right because it says it's when you make the charge move you don't make the charge move unless you can end up in engagement range so the only things that you Mm -hmm. would that this rule would affect would be the thing you charged right so so that's how that would work out is that uh if you had that ability and you were charging someone, and I'm going to double check on Bulgrins because, of course, I'd know guard so well. Yeah, we seem to get called out on that a lot. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be a thing. I don't know why. <laughs> well, this is this is one of those weaknesses that makes you stronger, right? Is, uh, that, is that how that, that works? Is it? Is that how that works? I mean that's how I'm that's how I'm gonna assume it works. I, I think we can go. I with mean that. I think I think this is more a case of ignorance being bliss. <laughs> We're so happy with guard because we don't know it. <laughs> that's also true. Yeah. So Bulgrins, let's see here. They do have an ability that is a avalanche of muscle, but they add add one attack to the characteristic in the fight phase on the turn in which they've successfully charged. So it. They basically get extra attacks on the charge, but they don't have like the ability to do okay. There is any st- other shenanigans around. Yeah. Okay, there is a stratagem that was added in Greater Good called Furious Charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one CP, use this stratagem in your charge phase when an Ogren f- unit from your army finishes a charge move. For each model in that unit, you can select one enemy unit within one inch. Which this is an eighth edition book, so that would mean engagement range. Mm-hmm of that model and roll a d6 on a four up that enemy unit suffers one mortal wound okay so it's a very similar ability but stratagem based but it effectively means the same thing when you make a charge move and so the the strat specifies when you finish a charge move but this is the same way it's like you make a charge move yeah your charge move requires you to end in engagement range you have made the charge move that's when the uh the stampede ability kicks in. Yeah. So that's how I would roll it. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Next up, a letter from Adam C. I I only have final initial. So Adam C. So Adam writes, hello, preferential adversaries. I would also just like to take a moment that I love the various uh, (laughs) variants of our names, (laughs) of our title that have have been used over the Uh, years. And I do like that one. It's very creative. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) all right adam continues first of all i love the show and look forward to listening to new episodes as they come out you provide a great balance of both fluff and crunch based commentary on the game that never fails to provide entertainment thank you very much adam that's actually been kind of our goal to cover a little bit of everything Obligatory butt-kissing aside, I recently came upon something that requires some clarification after playing a few games with a friend concerning the command reroll stratagem, core book, page 255, and the attack sequence, core, core book, page 220. 
The making attacks section goes through the rules of making attacks one at a time from making the hit roll to finally inflicting damage. Additionally, a sidebar for fast dice rolling provides a way to make several attacks at once, something that I had done many times before without a second thought. I had figured that if my bold and beautiful witch model was making an attack with Hydra Gauntlets against a slow and dim-witted Word Bearer's Chaos Space Marine, then I could roll four dice and, if I were unsatisfied with how many threes came up, spend one command point and re-roll all four attacks. Hypothetically, if two wounds went through and said Chaos Space Marine failed both of his saving throws, he could also use the same stratagem to re-roll both dice for a better result. The logic behind this was that the hit roll consisted of rolling four dice and hoping for threes, or better, and the saving throw consisted of rolling two dice and hoping for fives or better. Upon more careful reading both sections of the attack sequence and the command reroll stratagem, I think I might have found myself in the wrong. That sidebar of fast dice rolling mentions that all characteristics and circumstances of the weapon and attack belong being the same. You could make all of the hit rolls at the same time, then all of the wound rolls. The opponent can then allocate one attack at a time, making the saving throws and suffering damage each time as appropriate, unquote. Does this grouping of attack and wound rolls count as a single roll that I can re-roll? If so, it seems the defender is put at a disadvantage as they have to make their saving throws one at a time and can only use a re-roll stratagem for one failed saving throw in the, fr- in the phase. Upon writing it out, I think I might know what I misunderstood. The hit roll only refers to one die being rolled, as referenced by the attack sequence, and while the sidebar helps with making the sequence play out faster, it does not expand or append the definition of a hit roll. Nevertheless, I hope this proves somewhat interesting to discuss, and I would still like to hear what you guys think. Keep up the great work, Adam. Well, Adam, y- you did it. You you got there. Um, no, I, and I, 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 that sounds facetious. I don't mean it to be, but... It's an under it's an understandable confusion, especially if you're a newer player where like you think, well, I'm attacking, so I'm gonna roll all my attacks. That's my attack roll. And that's why the book specifies the fast dice rolling is and you're basically grouping these all up. Without the fast dice rolling option, technically you should roll out each thing separately, which would make the game yep. last forever which is why we don't do that. But yeah, I mean, the the fast dice rolling says, you know, the rules for making attacks have been written assuming you will resolve them one at a time. However, it is possible to speed up your battles by rolling the dice for similar attacks together. Yeah, I, I also know that this caused a lot of confusion in regards to other types of, of abilities, like the defensive kind of abilities that, like, states that the attack sequence ends... Like, after you, like, ignore, like, a wound uh, in some way. And and that always just means the attack sequence for that one individual role. Right. And not, mm-hmm. like, all of your attacks. Exactly. It, it's, the, you know, and they do, that's why they do specify, like, these rules are written with the understanding of each role, each attack is a series of single roles. And so, yeah, when you say, like, the attack sequence ends, that's the attack sequence for that one series of rolls for that one attack through the attack wound armor save process. And, yeah, consolidating that together may may seem a bit counterintuitive, but, yeah, it's it still only applies to one of those in that packet of rolls you're doing together. And it's interesting because in 8th edition, the command reroll said you could reroll one die. Right. 
And it's there, I think it was actually, th- this issue wouldn't have come up because it's a little bit more clear. You're re-rolling one die. But that also meant there were so many cases of ability, like, like I used to always save one command point so I could re-roll Celestine's uh, get back up on, you know, on the table mm-hmm. ability, which I can't do now because it's not one of the ones that's specifically covered by command reroll. But now command reroll is also written that if you didn't understand that they that a hit roll only refers to a single attack, you might end up doing it incorrectly. Yeah. I do think that they should probably like FAQ it and just change it. So like use the stratagem after you've made a single hit roll, wound roll, damage roll, etc. Just to, to make sure that it's super clear that it is just supposed to be one single, one single roll. Right. But yeah, Adam's, I, I like that he wrote out his, uh, like the logic of how he got there, because that that's pretty much exactly the path we mm-hmm. would take to explaining it. He showed his work. He did. Yep. See, he showed his work. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, command reroll just lets you reroll one, like one attack. And, and he is right that like, it does seem like it would, it would be uh, unfair to the defender if they could only reroll one thing at a time, but the attackers could mass reroll all their attacks because they don't like, you know, like, well, I don't like one of these. So I'm going to reroll all of them, which actually yeah. in some cases could be counterproductive if you rolled a bunch of good ones and then one bad one and you only wanted to reroll the one bad one. Um, and then, then that gets into the whole may, that w- logic sometimes comes up with like may and must things like that but right uh, well and i think the big thing is this makes it this makes those abilities like um your you know your your lieutenant abilities to like re-roll all wounds or re-roll all hits things like that it makes those so much more powerful um right. because you do then have the flexibility to re-roll multiple attacks and multiple hits um rather than just a single die and like that's the the command re-roll stratagem is meant to just be kind of a more flexible but very limited version of that. So that's kind of available to anybody. Um, so you can re-roll that clutch save or that one clutch attack if you need to while not infringing on, you know, your chapter master or lieutenant abilities. Mm-hmm, exactly. And, you know, those re-roll abilities have been a, a point of contention, which is why a lot of them now are limited to core units. Although, depending mm-hmm. on the army, that may cover most of your army anyway. But also, like, why a lot of reroll abilities now don't apply to the character providing them. So, uh, you know, just that kind of a, a little bit of a rebalancing there. But yeah, the command reroll, you know, since they introduced that in 8th edition, has always been the idea, like, this is for, like, a spot one-off, that that attack that absolutely has to hit, or that wound that absolutely has to go through, or that save that absolutely has to be made. You know, that that's where that that comes in. And I think now with command in ninth edition with command points, you know, regenerating a little bit every turn and just people having more of them in general, having, you know, making sure that that is balanced and that you are only applying it to single roles and only certain types of roles makes a big difference in, in making sure that it doesn't get over overpowered or, or, you know, either too useful or too weak, for that matter. Also, like, mm-hmm. they specified that it applies to charge rolls, which are 2d6 rolls, which was also a point that got argued a lot in 8th edition. <laughs> I don't miss those arguments, so. Yeah. 
but yeah, Adam, you you absolutely got to the right conclusion, and thank you for for showing your work so that maybe other people who are having the same question as they're you know learning this edition uh, don't make that same mistake. All right, next up is from Dustin Brown, who is a longtime friend of the show. Uh, Dustin writes, Hi, all. Congrats on the 10 years. And apparently I became a listener about halfway through as I got back into the fourth 40K and early 7th edition. May it rot in the warp. And you've kept me entertained since. Uh, this is even despite my misgivings on your Imperial Guard knowledge. I'm not. I'm still not sure what's worse, your lack of commentary or the quality of it when you do provide it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we, we put disclaimers. We do. We're always very clear. Uh, however, I think I will defer to Puck to provide the appropriate <laughs> reprimands. <laughs> That's fair. I don't know. Puck doesn't have any Imperial Guard knowledge. He just knows about the oh. astro-military. Oh, oh, you're oh. not. <laughs> Puck's going to get on a Fox cast and call you out. Oh, yeah. I know. It's great. <laughs> Uh, you also hold the title of being my inaugural U.S. tournament when I first came over. I am definitely bummed that Midwest Conquest is on hiatus. Here's to another 10 years and hopefully another Midwest Conquest I can attend. Uh, that is actually in the works. We are working on, yep. uh, although it won't necessarily be us running it, we will be involved. And uh, we are working on making sure that, that when that can start up, which means it'll probably be next year before Midwest Conquest returns. Uh, but uh, we are hoping that we can help the people who will be taking it over make it a, an awesome yeah. event and and far more than worthy of the title. All the best, Dustin. Uh, P.S. Feel free to shamelessly plug Siege World 2021, August 20th and 21st at the Gateway Center just outside of St. Louis. We also had to take a break last year for Plague Times, but we're back again with a 40K, uh, Age of Sigmar, and Apocalypse event following covid guidelines details can be found on our facebook page at facebook.com slash gateway gamers hope to see a couple of you there um all things being equal i i will try to attend this year has like i i've kind of put a lot of my travel just on hold this year until we see how everything shakes up but or shakes but out but in yeah in general, though, we don't do shameless plugs, and we will not talk about Siege World 2021, August 21st, at the Gateway Center in St. Louis. Absolutely and not. And more information we, – yeah, we, and you definitely can't go to facebook.com backslash gatewaygamers for more information. Yeah, and and I definitely <laughs> will not tell anyone that I have attended the, the, the two previous years they held the event, played in the Apocalypse games, and had a great time, because nobody needs to know that about the event, that it's fantastic exactly. and a lot of fun. If, so. If people know about other events, they won't come to ours, so we won't talk about them. They're not going to come to the event that we're not holding because we're on hiatus. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I didn't say it was logical. I just said... (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, no. uh, Yeah. Siege World's a great, great event, so go if you can. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Next up, from Reed Anderson. Reed writes, Dear Preferred Enemies... I've been listening for many years around the time Kevin joined full time. So see, you've been so on the, the show many, started. many years, Kevin, many years. So when, so when the podcast started, got it. <laughs> and I think the anniversary episode is a great time to share my appreciation for your podcast. I've listened to many other podcasts that have redeeming qualities, but the reason I like you the most is because I think you represent the most common player. You're a group of friends who often play together and hobby together, talk about the lore together, wish list your upcoming codexes together, and occasionally attend tournaments, sometimes together. <laughs> 
Admittedly, you also have a podcast and run the Early Midwest Conquest Tournament, but I still think you're the most relatable podcast out there. Did I mention that you do all of this together? There's another reason why I continue to listen. Even with life's exciting changes, you all still find the time to get together every few weeks to talk about the hobby you love. Your camaraderie speaks volumes about your character. Thank you so much for continuing to produce amazing content, especially your lore summaries. Rob's coverage of The Gathering Storm was just sublime. Oh gosh, man! I, oh, I love the Gathering Storm. Oh, that was such a fun set of books to cover. Yeah, <laughs> um, and, and yeah, a lot of this is this. You know, we have said before that if you're listening to the podcast, what you're really listening to is the way the four of us talk when we're just hanging out and gaming. You know, when when we were still all in the same place, and so that's always been kind of one of the vibes I want to ma- maintain for the show is that it. This is just what we what we do yeah i mean these are the kinds of discussions we have and uh yeah it's just this is just us it's nothing nothing fancy but it's the kind of stuff that we do you know when we just get together so and and i i do want to try to be that kind of common gamer because i'm a little bit casual i'm a little bit competitive i'm gaming on a budget but i will splurge on occasion you know so it's like i'm I, I see myself as, as one of those gamers that's just kind of in that little sweet spot in the middle, which also means I don't master anything. So there's that. But. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll. A little Sorry. bit country, a little bit rock and roll. <laughs> a little bit pal, a little bit chaos. Yeah, a little, <laughs> little bit pal, a little bit chaos, a little bit sisters, a little bit of um, Age of Sigmar, a little bit of. <laughs> A uh, little bit of Blood Angels that I'm working on. A little bit of it. A little bit of Imperial Knights. Oh God, my my pile of shame. Yeah, I try hey, I'm, 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 I'm catching up. I'm catching up to both you and Kevin on that. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay! Welcome to our problem. <laughs> I don't think that's good. Um. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and on that note (laughs) moving on but truly thank you yeah no honestly yeah Yeah. thank you thank you very much reed we really appreciate it and and i'm glad that that this is the vibe that you've picked up because it is really what we're what we, we try to do all right next up is from adam rouch adam writes hey fellas i started playing and listening to your podcast around the time ninth edition came out i work for a smaller friendly local game store and coming out of covid restrictions we were looking to give a boost to the 40k and eventually age of sigmar community also i'm excited to play competitively and i'm simply waiting on getting models painted to start attending more serious tournaments you have mentioned some good stuff in the past about being ready for tournaments from a player perspective i wouldn't mind hearing more advice on that but I would love to hear your take on how to make game days fun and small tournaments tournaments fabulous from an organizer perspective. Oh, this is okay. So it's been a long while since I've run a small tournament. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's been at least a couple of years. One, like there's a number of things that I have found can help really make a, a game day fun and enjoyable. And a lot of it is doing a a small amount of prep work and putting, you know, and just like trying to keep everything moving smoothly so people can focus on the games. 
And that can be things like, you know, getting there a little bit early. And especially, you know, as you work for a game store, you have access to get into the store a little bit early. So, like, I try to do things like have tables set up as soon as possible and try to have... um, I like to have tables that are arranged somewhat similarly for balance sake, but I also like to have them themed a little bit so that, like, you have a different feel on different tables, uh, which can just be a nice thematic thing. Um, providing all, everything that players are likely to need, having like uh, objective markers available, having pencils for writing down scores, uh, making sure that there are uh, mission packets printed out. Which the uh, like I burned through so much paper and ink, <laughs> right, you know, doing stuff for like <laughs> monthly or semi like semi monthly tournaments. But it was totally worth it. I mean, it, you know, and just having like, I even used a couple little art assets that I uh, commissioned from somebody to put into the uh, art, you know, to the packets. And like, I don't know how many people necessarily noticed it, but it was just something like just a little bit of an extra touch. Um, now, how that would work with uh, people using like the, uh, you know, the match play or grand tournament missions that are in booklets, that might be kind of a different thing and with itc missions it was also you know it's a a bit of a Mm -hmm. different thing but it's just you know having having those little touches making sure that you work in time for breaks being available to answer rules questions um which i mean this all seems like it should be kind of a basic thing but all of it is basically there to smooth out all the parts of an event that can make things not fun. And so a- as an organizer, it's it's a lot of work. Uh, it is occasionally thankless, although some of my some of my favorite things from running lo- like small local tournaments, and especially like we were running tournaments in a space where, like around 7 p.m., 6 to 7 p.m., that's when like the board gamers and magic gamers would show up on Saturdays. And so suddenly we had like clear things out as quickly as possible. So we're having to put away tables like, okay, round we've, we're doing a three-round tournament. Okay, round three is over on these two tables. Let's go ahead and break those down while the last few games are still going on type thing. And one of my favorite things is when players would stick around to help you break down tables and get things put away because it meant mm-hmm. that it wasn't just a matter of showing up, playing a game and leaving. It meant they felt like they were part of a community and they had a little bit of a sense of ownership of, you know, making sure everything was done right. And also just, you know, as a way to say thanks to the organizer for, for helping run the event. So that was the kind of stuff that I really appreciated as an organizer and if you run a good event and you can build that sense of community, that becomes easier and easier to do and, and to get that kind of response from people. And that that's another thing. It's just consistency, you know, trying to keep events running on a semi-regular schedule, uh, announcing them ahead of time, getting signups, things like that. So it's it's all just keeping it going and occasionally mixing in like just fun events, like change up the format a little bit. Um, I think ha- the addition of Kill Team was good for that, uh, for being able to like mix in smaller events, do things at different point sizes, um, because that allows you to reach more players. And mm-hmm. you and one of the best ways to get a a good community and have good game days is 
to have a wider audience and that's one of the best ways you can do that and then like you said uh, you're adding in uh, age of sigmar eventually and that gives you a chance to hit yet another audience and you might be surprised by the kind of cross-pollination you get between those two two groups so yeah from yeah. Uh, from an organizer's perspective it, it, that's all the stuff that that goes into it i i think you probably have the hardest part solved already which is finding a place and then like working with the friendly local game store to like get the space and get the organization you know organization get early access having that puts you at a, at, a, at a good advantage because you already have since you work at the store you have a way to post messages to tell people about you know the league or the events that you're doing so uh, that right there, you know, is is a, a great head start on it. The other thing that I would recommend is, you know, creating a Facebook page, using your your friendly local game stores, social media accounts to promote it and let people know about it, but also to get feedback because no matter what, um, no matter what you do, if players don't like it or you know have feedback and don't, like, then they're not going to show up. So. You know, continue to listen to the players. Initially, you're going to have to like just set dates and, you know, expect that there might be lower turnout, especially with people coming back from COVID. Um, but it, it, all of that builds and, and eventually you'll kind of hit that critical mass and you'll have a, a community of people that'll play. But then, yeah, you get feedback and find out what point size they want to play, if they want to do an escalation league, if they want to play kill team, when they want to play Sigmar. Um, and I think all of that is important as you go along. Uh, to keep people engaged and to keep people having uh, having a good time. Yeah. And, you know, he, as far as more advice on things from a player's perspective, I mean, we've covered a lot of that in the past. And, I mean, we could retread it, but, I mean, there's a lot of little things. So there's a player to do. The biggest thing I would say is read the read the mission pack, read the tournament pack ahead of time. Um, and then read it again <laughs> so that you know exactly how the event's set up, where things are going to be, what your timing is, what the missions are, etc. Um, ask, you know, ask the tournament organizer if there's any questions ahead of time. And then have your army, you know, have your army painted well enough in advance, have a display board and a transportation method for it so that when you're there at the event, you can quickly pick your stuff up and move around. Um, there's a lot of times where I've seen people go to an event and they just forget about their display board, um, or whatever, however they're going to transport their army. And then they have to like quickly grab handfuls of models and go back and forth between tables. And I, if I could give you those two, two pieces of advice, it's read the mission packs, you know, multiple times and have a transportation method for your army. I think if those two things, yes. you'll cover most, most of what you need. Man, Kevin, I remember back, to, I think it was a Renegade Open, we made a Walmart run to get corkboard just to use yeah. as a display board yeah. right before I one remember of those. that. I, remember, I think and, it was specifically for your display board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah and, yeah, and I still use that yeah. one. Yeah, and that's it. Display <laughs> boards do not have to be complicated. Like, literally just having a foam board to set models on is enough. Like, you're not going to get, like, extra points and stuff in paint competition for having just that, but... Having just a tray to be able to move your army around quickly will save you so much stress on on tournament day. Oh, absolutely. Um, also, not just having your uh, you know 
having an army transport capability, but also remembering to bring your army because that's happened a number of times to people. <laughs> uh, hey, it's only happened to me once. Only happened to you once. Uh, but and it, we're not going to call people out like Jason. <laughs> yeah, um, no. on, when they when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, just—I uh, mean—one of the best things you can bring to an event is not something that you will buy at a gaming store or buy online or build your. Well, I guess it is something you kind of build yourself. Is a good attitude. Um, go into an event expecting, you know, wanting to have a good time, trying to have a good time, and expecting to have a good time. And generally, if you do the like, if you can bring that. And, you know, the games themselves become a little bit less important to whether you enjoy the day or not. Um, Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, if you go in with an attitude uh, like, and and I I imagine there will be competitive players that disagree with me because, you know, know, a a competitive player is going to go in possibly with the uh, viewpoint of like, I'm... I've got a game plan. I'm going to, well, it's like like the difference between going in saying, I've got a game plan. I'm going to try to do it to the best of my ability. I know what I'm going to be, what I'm likely to be facing. I know what I've got to do. Um, That, that's like a positive attitude to have competitively. I'd say an attitude that doesn't help is like going in saying, yeah, I'm going to go in. I'm going to win this all. I'm going to take this. I got to win this because I have like, because that's one of those things where you're setting yourself up for potential disaster. You know, because like, oh, now I I haven't like I I lost a game. Well, that ruined my weekend. I, I yeah, it's like go in, especially if it's like an, one of your first events. Like, go into a tournament, just like I'm here to get some games in, do my best, learn by possibly getting my butt kicked, and I'm gonna have a good time. And often, and, and in many cases in your first tournament, all those things will be true. You will go in, yeah. you will get a number of games, you will get your butt kicked, and you will likely have a good time. Yeah, but my first it, event it, at Renegade Open, I went one in five and, like, got just curb stomped in every game except for one, which I was, I pulled out a very, very close victory. Um, but I got, I got curb stomped in every other game. But I had a blast. And, and, Kev- <laughs> and Kevin, I do have a wooden spoon award. Yeah. You don't. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I did not get the wooden spoon at that event. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's just remembering that this is a game, that we are playing it for fun. I know there's been some some news recently, and I don't want to get too far into it, but a player who was a high ra- highly ranked player, in fact, uh, highly ranked as far as ITC, uh, was caught cheating on stream and like they reviewed the video afterwards and realized oh yeah no this is very likely it, it, this looks very much like cheating and the one of the first times we've actually seen the itc itself bring down a penalty uh and it it has started up a, a new conversation about um you know cheating which has always been an issue in uh in 40k events I mean, going back years and years of, well, and uh, it's an issue with any competitive it's an issue in all yeah. games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and as as people you know approach 40k as a competitive event where you know winner takes all, that pressure is there, uh, and so it, you know it's led to a new conversation. But I've started seeing more people 
kind of, you know, even on the competitive side saying, yeah, in the end of the day, this is a game. We're doing this, like, this is not a huge thing. We're doing this for fun. And so Mm -hmm. that means, A, we shouldn't be, you know, we don't need, you know, cheating should not be a thing that happens at these events. And then the flip side is also we don't need to have, like, death threats sent against, like, people who (laughs) either, who bring down the punishments or who did the cheating in the first place. It's like conversation online gets messy. And a lot of that comes down to the attitude we take towards this. And, you know, neither of those extremes are productive. And so again, a lot of this comes down to the attitude uh, that you bring into the game. And if you're, if your attitude is, I'm like, I'm going to come in, I'm going to play the best I can. And I'm going to, and we'll see what happens. Honestly, that's the best attitude you can have. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, serious well, tournaments are, are serious tournaments should not be serious business, if that makes sense. <laughs> right. Well, and to kind of bring it back to the first part of Adam's question about like how to make his, his local events more fun, de-emph- not de-emphasizing winning, but like not putting as much emphasis on winning, like can also be helpful when you're running those small events, because the one, the one thing that will kill a small tournament faster than anything is, okay, we're going to run our bi-weekly tournament and then two people show up and dominate every week and get all of the prize support. They're going to, they're going to stop coming because it's kind of boring and other people are going to stop coming because they just keep getting their butt kicked. So finding ways to give out prize support or give out rewards for people that show up and other things besides just showing up and winning. Um, is a good way to kind of in- emphasize um, those aspects of the hobby and of the game that I think uh, can be helpful at those larger events if you kind of instill them in your local local community events first. Agreed, agreed. And like, especially alternate prizes, I- I- I'm glad that we've been seeing more events move away from cash prizes and going more into... Just things like trophies, plaques, 3D printed weapons, stuff like that, you know, where it's like, this is your prize from, uh, you know, like, this is your recognition of doing well mm-hmm. at the event, rather than this is the thing you, you earn, like, this is the money you take away from it. Yeah. And so... Yeah, I think in and, general, and I've, that's a good thing. Yeah, and I've even heard competitive players saying, like, yeah, I don't need to win all these, like, army kits or things like that because, like, I don't play these armies. All I'm going to do is turn around and either, like, resell them or do something. Because, And it's not because they're jerks. It's because they literally don't need the stuff. Um, you know, so unless it's, like, a, a very rare, difficult-to-find thing, it's probably not worth giving away as a top prize but stuff like that is awesome door prizes are fun like if you can just do do things for people to show up painting prizes are really good you know find ways to hit again it's that hitting multiple audiences the more people that you can bring in for different reasons the the better your overall community is going to be all right next up we've got a letter from clay sedrith clay writes greetings enemies of preference that's another good one I'd like to make a quick call out about the Tau Stark collecting box. Doubling up on it becomes even better when you convert one of those ethereals into a cadre fireblade. All the bits you need are in the box. Sand the ethereal cast logo down on his chest. Use spare fire warrior arms, helmet, and whatever else you can to make him look distinctive. He has the robes around his legs to help with distinctiveness, and mine came out looking like something out of destiny. Okay, that's cool. That's a that's an idea yeah. I had not thought of. 
But yeah, like if you can make him into a Fireblade, that's an extra HQ you have, even more flexibility. And if you're building them as like a unit of breachers and a unit of strike, like a strike squad and a breacher squad, you'll have helmets of one style or the other left over. So you can totally do that. He continues, I agree with everything that was said on the topic of 3D printing, but I also wanted to add a personal story as to why I love what 3D printing can add to our hobby. I have 3D printed several models of my Custodes army because it had been more than a year with what I needed not available from GW, which I totally agree. As we said, like if you can't get something, if it is not available, it's not necessarily you're not really pirating something if you can't buy it. Uh, mm. Now that I know I like the Sagittarium, I'll pick up some real ones to expand the minimum size squad I printed. I could have just proxied them, but the 3D print experience gave me my favorite shield captain. The files I found had something unique, a sergeant of sorts for the squad. Custodes don't have them, but I like having a squad leader picked out anyway, so I printed him. He ended up smaller, just enough out of scale to be noticeable. That caused a string of, oh, aren't you a little short for a custodian jokes? But later I needed a shield captain on foot and realized I could make use of this unique model. He had a spear slung on his back and a Sagittarium heavy bolter in one hand at his side. So I cut off the bolter to give him a storm shield and I carefully converted the spear into an axe. I put him on a hero rock to correct for his height. And now I have a truly unique model that's got a great origin story. I decided that his height was canon and in my mind he had sort of a Steve Rogers story where he had to work all the harder to prove himself. And despite not having the physical sides of other custodes, he proved himself worthy i also gave him the warlord trait for five up feel no pain the command captain commander trait for plus two wounds and he has never dropped below half wounds in any of his 10 games so far and that includes receiving a charge from five sanguinary guard nice he's also killed every vehicle he's touched with his axe thus i have named him with new titles for his deeds as custodes do zagreus the superior creation the plate breaker and he uh provided a picture uh, with a uh, comparison of a uh, custode, like a GW, like custodian guard for scale. And yeah, he's a little shorter. Like, he's about half a head shorter. <laughs> yeah. But with, yeah, he's... It looks like a Wolverine to Cyclops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it looks cool. Uh, he continues, We as a community need to embrace 3D printing as another tool available to us and use it in the right way. Custom parts, out-of-production special models, and alternate models are things that GW will not, or more often cannot, make and sell profitably. They can enhance the hobby and give us some amazing models and armies that we might never see otherwise. It's up to us as players to check ourselves and make sure we are supporting the wonderful people that make the game and the world we love so much. I also have a question I'd like your opinions on. I'm seeing tournaments in my area starting up. They are being run safely, and I'll have a, my second COVID shot on May 5th, so I'm beyond excited to get back into gaming with people outside my immediate trusted circle. That excitement has me in a bit of decision paralysis, and thus my question. I have a Custodes army that I'm quite happy with. The list I'm testing for them has a core of their Terminators of Exilla and two Telamon to bully the center of the field and give me board control through devastation of anything that challenges me. <laughs> While I use jet bikes and Venetari to chase down more mobile threats or go grab far-flung objectives. I also have my homegrown chapter Marines that are Space Wolf successors, complete with alternate Thunderwolf cavalry made from Age of Sigmar Dracoliths, Marine torsos and arms from my giant box of Marine bits, custom shields from one website, custom helms from another, and some 3D printed weapons. 
That list has a lord on a Thunderwolf, Primaris Chaplain on a bike, and Thunderwolves as the core, a squad of Blade Guard with a buff spell librarian and impulsor that can go with them or split up as needed, and several squads of Wolf Guard with jump packs to be more free roaming and get wherever I need them. The tournament is a charity event, but I know some of our local players are going to go hard and bring their best, so I want to as well. I don't know who's bringing what, so I find myself unable to choose between the two armies. Fun is the usual army decision tiebreaker, but I love both my children and cannot decide. So I ask your opinion. What would you take to a tournament as a take-all-comers army if you wanted to do your best? I didn't give specific lists because I just want your take on what you like and don't like about these armies. Thank you, as always, for reading my rambling. Clay Sudrath, Hive Mind of the Hive Fleet Lazarus, Chapter Master of the Raging Panthers, and Captain Commander of the Shadow Seekers. Uh, so first, uh, thank you for writing in about the three D the three D printing. That is exactly the the re, you know yep. like you get to create these new things, but it's also like like you said, it's up to us to check ourselves to make sure that we're doing it appropriately and and not taking advantage or trying to you know shortchange GW in a way that hurts them as a business. Uh, as far as uh, as which army you have custodes with a pair of telemon or custom built space wolf successors like heavily converted man um well dennis you play both of those (laughs) (laughs) i i will i will defer to you for first first answer okay my first answer is is eldar uh but (laughs) (laughs) not an option because I, I know that's not an option here, but yeah, I got thinking about when I read this come through, and I'm like, what would I choose? Because yeah, I've I think all all of us have the we have too many armies, we like them all type thing. I think I even went one time, Rob, and I I showed you, hey, if I went to a tournament every month, I could take a different faction. Yeah. And then we sighed and said, no. <laughs> we all agreed that we, um, we all have a problem. <laughs> yeah. So it, it is really hard. It's like you said. It's easier if you know what you're up against, because then you can kind of tailor. But if you don't, and all comers, <sighs> space wolves are very in your face, fast, and you've got the buffs. I don't know how well. Well, you can get to anything on the smaller board size. Um, I don't know. I, I would lean toward. Uh, I can see both, because because I like the idea of just showing off the custom work. Because especially if it's at a charity event then you can kind of show off that way. But if it's all the people you know and they've already seen it, then that doesn't matter. Um, custodes are very fun. Custodes are very... I'm, I'm going to say easy, just because they just don't die frequently. Um, this is where... I, I, <laughs> I don't know which I would pick between the two either. I might lean... If it was me, I would might lean towards custodes, just because... I've been itching to play my custodes and haven't. And Space Wolves, I've been itching to play, but that itch has not been as loud as the custodes I have. So that's probably not the best answer. That's why I said Eldar. <laughs> well, so I think his, I think he kind of, I, my answer kind of comes from the way he, he formed the question. What would I take as a, yeah. to a tournament as a t- all, take on all comers army? And I think with that kind of caveat, custodes are fun and they're probably the army that I would rather play. But I think if you're looking for a truly kind of take on all comers army, you can't really beat Space Marines. They have the flexibility to and the tools to be able to take on anything. Custodes have bad matchups. They have matchups where they're just not going to perform as well because you run into 
a heavy Eldar Psyker army or something, and they just take mortal wounds and 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 die. So I think if you're truly looking for like a take on all comers like army, I think that you I think you would want to go with the Space Wolves. I can see that. I mean, I often would. I mean, I'm the Horde army player, so I would err towards the one with more bodies. <laughs> Which yeah. is definitely going to be the the yeah the Space Wolves list. It, Right. Yeah, the Space Wolves list is like like you said, Dennis is going to have some neat conversions, and you're all right that yeah, it's definitely the uh, the it's probably the more flexible of the lists. It's got you know it's got some hard hitting melee stuff. It's got a lot of movement. I mean, you know, Thunder Wolves, Chaplain on a bike, Blade Guard and an Impulsor, Wolf Guard on jump packs. I mean, you've got the movement, and, and in this edition, we know movement and being able to get in and and, and get some close up damage are all very good things. So it's gonna be a it's gonna be a solid list. However, I want to be the voice of non reason and just say that my god, that custodes list sounds like it's a, it'll be a blast to play too. Right. <laughs> I mean, I just love the yeah. idea of board control through devastation. It's just, <laughs> mm, hits a part in my heart that I'm just like, yes, destroy all the things. <laughs> hey, I still haven't got to use my one Telemon yet, so having two on the board just sounds really cool to me. Yeah. Um, so I I think we'll come down to the the more sensible choice is probably the Space Wolf list. The 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 uh the nonsensical but totally baller choice is the custodes. <laughs> Take that as you will. <laughs> I, I I thought we'd come down to a two to two vote, so it's a, a like a make your own choice. So we have to go with Eldar. <laughs> <laughs> You'll notice he did not specify bringing his Tyranid list. <laughs> I don't have a Tyranid. No, you yet. don't have a Tyranid list. He does have a oh, Tyranid okay. list. Notice he he actually wants to do well at this yeah, tournament, no, so he's not, not bringing it. <laughs> oh, ouch! Nids are not in a good spot okay, right my- now. Um, in fact, uh, yeah, Bella Lost Souls just ran an article of like the lists that like the armies that need the uh, the most help. It was easier to find on Google. The five armies that need the most help, and it sounds mostly like our episode last week uh, when we were talking about, or last episode when we were talking about start art collecting <laughs> boxes. Gene Stealer Cults, Imperial Knights, Inari, Tyranids, and Tau. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, none of those are wrong. Or surprising. Yeah, and then somebody asked, like, well, what about Guard? And Guard, they're like, Guard is sixth on the list. And Guard is number six. And it goes like five, four, three, two, one, with Tau being the one needing the most work. And they're like, yeah, Guard just didn't quite make the cut. I, I blame Inari for being a faction with only three models. Yeah. Eventually, Inari needs a, needs a book or something. It needs, it, it needs like a, they need to figure out what they want to do with it. Either it needs a book or it needs to get rolled into the other factions like Imperial Agents, right, Kevin? Mm-hmm. Oh. Eldari Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, there's, it's one of those things where they, they could very easily... <laughs> Like do it as a full supplement and just give them, you know, kind of like what give it the Space Marine treatment, where here's all of the stuff that's in your Eldar army, and then here's how it changes if you take a Yanari army, and then you could have, I mean, because there are Space Marine factions that have supplements with one or two models, like it's possible to do under this edition. It's just uh, they haven't they haven't updated the rules yet for it. No, fair enough. 
All right. And for our final letter for the episode, <laughs> we are getting ready to disappoint Dustin once again because it's some guard time. Shay Strait writes in, uh, Good day, Volscani Cataphracts, my preferred enemy, which uh, a little bit of a deep cut. That is the uh, enemy force in the novel Cadia Stands. So apparently, nice. so Shay is definitely a, uh, a guard fan. Uh, he continues, I saw the call for audio for your 10th anniversary episode. I don't feel I get, have any great verbal contribution to give to the episode, but felt a written thank you might be better. I'm very glad the podcast has made it this far. Preferred Enemies is my favorite podcast related to 40K and definitely stands among the best. Your honest and mostly positive approach is refreshing and always brightens my day. Well, thank you. Uh, as we have been fond of saying many times... We are not funny enough to be angry on the internet. And uh, that that has actually been one of our, like, one of our key philosophical, you know, baselines for, for how we approach things, even when we do critique, is that there's no sense in getting angry about it because it, that's not, it's not enjoyable listening, at least as far as I'm concerned. So he continues. I do have a list review to propose. I know you don't have a resident guard player and are somewhat hesitant to review guard lists, but hear me out on a wild one. <laughs> I'm a longtime guard player and have devised a fun list that is much different than anything being played right now and would like to hear your thoughts. It wouldn't win a GT, but that's not the point. It is meant to be thematic, fun for both players, hopefully, and for that reason, movement trays are a must, <laughs> and it should do decently in oh, competitive no. play. The intended play style will be listed at the end. Here's the list. One Astro Militarum Battalion Detachment. Uh, he is using a custom regiment using the uh, Regimental Doctrines Wilderness Survivors and Disciplined Shooters. So those are the following. Uh, wilderness Survivals is when resolving an attack made with a ranged weapon against an infantry unit with this doctrine. If that unit did not advance in its previous movement phase, it is treated as receiving cover for saving throws. So as long as you didn't run forward, you always have cover. And then disciplined shooters, when an infantry model with this doctrine shoots with rapid fire weapon against a unit that was within 18 inches, double the number of attacks the weapon makes rather than following the normal rules for rapid fire weapons. So you rapid fire at 18 and you always have cover as long as you didn't advance. So continuing his HQs, he has a company commander and he has a Lord Commissar who is his warlord. Uh, his warlord has the uh, warlord trait master of command. And it's a good thing I have my books here because I don't know what a damn thing one of these things do because <laughs> I don't play guard. <laughs> uh, master of command uh, gives him the voice of command ability. If he already has the voice of command or tank orders ability, he may instead issue one additional order per turn. Uh, being a lord commissar, he does not have voice of command. So this gives him the ability to give orders. And then he has the Blade of Conquest, which is basically an AP minus four uh, D3 power sword. It's strength plus two. I would be surprised if that hasn't been eroded to a strength plus three. Let's see, because, you know, all power swords have been getting that. Nope, they just kept it at the strength plus two. So he's just got he's got a plasma pistol and a D3 damage AP minus four power sword. So that's cool. Then he's got a uh, Premier Psyker with Night Shroud and Psychic Barrier. One, two, three units of 30 conscripts and one unit of 20 conscripts. A Commissar, uh, Ogren Bodyguard, uh, 
a special weapons squad with uh, six guardsmen, uh, three of them with plasma guns, and then a special weapons squad with six guardsmen, three of them with melta-guns. Uh, tech priest engine seer, unit of six weird vein psychers uh, actually, uh, with mental fortitude, and then a unit of three weird vein psychers with mental fortitude. Uh, a chimera with heavy bolter. And then, in addition, a Astra Militarum Super Heavy Detachment with its own set of sub of uh, custom uh, doctrines with, let's see, jury-rigged repairs uh, on uh, start of your turn. Roll a D6 for each vehicle model from your army with this doctrine that has lost any wounds. On a 2-4, to four, that model regains a wound. On a 5-up, it regains D3 lost wounds. And then expert gunners, which is... I think it's actually gunnery experts is how it's listed. Ah, there it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, I see. Yeah. All right. So we had jury rig repairs. And then gunnery experts, which is when you roll to determine the type characteristic of any weapon a vehicle model with this doctrine is equipped with, you can reroll one of the dice, which I think is the Katachan ability to, like, if you've got, like, D6 shots, you get to reroll it if you don't like the result. Mm-hmm. And then he is running some Forge World goodness with a uh, Crassus with a heavy stubber and two Macarius Vulcans, uh, one of which ha- is a tank ace and has the hull down deployment tank ace ability, which uh, the model receives See, the benefit of cover teaching this. until the first turn and moves into battle. Yes, we are te- we are learning this guard stuff, kicking and screaming. <laughs> uh, we will figure this out. Um, okay, so the Macarius Vulcan is equipped with a Vulc- the uh, Vulcan Mega Bolter, which is a 60-inch range, heavy 16, strength 6, <laughs> AP minus 2, 2 damage. So lots of gun. Ouch. Yeah. And then there's the Crassus, which is equipped with four heavy bolters, and he he's added a heavy stubber to it as well. And its main thing is it's a transport with a capacity of 35. <laughs> okay. And Ogren can't count as three models for that, and uh, so I'm guessing that Ogren bodyguard is going to be going in, in there as well. So... Uh, that comes to a total of 2,000 points on the dot. The idea is to overwhelm the middle of the table with as many objective-secured bodies as possible and making them semi-resilient through morale buffs such as guard strats, commissar leadership, or mental fortitude. The Crassus gets loaded up with 20 conscripts, both special weapons teams, a company commander, tech priest, and maybe the regular commissar. The other... Okay, so... I was wrong. Uh, the other conscript units will hug close to the Lord Commissar and Ogren Bodyguard to start. Uh, the Lord Commissar has the ability that issues orders to conscripts that has the ability to issue orders to the conscripts that auto pass the order test because the Lord Commissar doesn't have the officer keyword. I can use a one CP strat to let him issue a second order, quickly moving two units of 30 conscripts across the table with move, 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 with an average of 18 inches of movement. The psychers will ride in the chimera as a smite bomb using the psychic core strat to give them plus two to cast, giving the six-man unit of weird veins an auto-pass smite that can't fail or peril. They have other the other power to have flexibility in the game plan depending on matchups. The Macarius Vulcans do their thing and shoot. With their strong guns, most elites and troops hardly stand a chance. 
The conscripts, once in place, can first rake fire, second rake fire their hearts to martyrdom. Nothing is safe from weight of dice. If my opponent can snipe characters well, the Chimera can serve as a mobile order base for the Lord Commissar. Uh, one change I might consider already is making the Super Heavy Detachment Cadian to use the overlapping fields of fire stratagem. Let me know what you think. Nothing is out of the question for changes. I own a lot of guard models and have almost everything parade ready. Cadia stands. Sincerely, Shay, a.k.a. Cadian Sergeant Steve. Cadian Sergeant Steel. Um, All I can say is wow. <laughs> so yeah, I, now I know that Guard had had some uh, changes that were made. I remember in Eighth Edition to uh, to conscripts. So I want to make sure I get that right. Or maybe it was something they changed between Index and the Codex when they released the Codex. Because I remember, like when. Eighth started commissars and conscripts. Like conscripts were stupid good, right? They were yeah. cheap. They were basically cheap, but almost as good as guard as regular guard, right? Well, so I, I think the big change, and I and I think they've code of you know classified it in the uh, in the data sheet now, but it's just kind of the, they changed it so that they didn't listen to officer voice of command the same way. So like they you know you would basically. A commissar would issue a command, and they're less good at following orders as regular troops. So there's on a four up, you know, the order applies as normal. So you do have basically a 50-50 chance of the order actually going through. He's getting around that, though, by using the Lord Commissar, who doesn't have the officer keyword. That is correct, yes. Which is hilarious and... So I, I think well, that's the well, change. Who that you do you were listen? Of, who do you listen to? Do you listen? Yeah, because I remember it was the four up. Uh, the order only triggering on a four up. I didn't realize the officer bit, but it makes yeah. sense. Who are you going to listen to? The guy that just tells you to do something, or the guy that'll shoot you in the face if you don't? Right. <laughs> so right, exactly. no, that is that is a clever workaround. So okay, so yeah, I mean the now the the uh, the jury rigged. Uh, jury rigged repairs will and the tech priest engine seer will help keep that crassus going. So there's definitely a thing to be said for that. My my concern is if if anything happens to that crassus early, I mean that's that could be a that's game definitely over. a linchpin. Yeah, yeah. And I think he kind of mentions you know uh, switching the the super heavy to a Cadian detachment. It's the the Cadian detachment rule for overlapping fields of fire gives you. Uh, Use a strategy, so it's a stratagem, two point CP stratagem. Uh, use a stratagem after a Cadian unit in your army has attacked an enemy unit in the shooting phase, and the attack resulted in an enemy using unit losing one or more wounds. Add one to hit rolls for attacks by other Cadian units from your army that target the same unit in this phase. The only reason why I don't think that's as valuable as what you've gone with currently is a two CP stratagem. So that's kind of expensive. But also, you really only have three things that are Cadian, so you're either going to be hitting things with the Heavy Stubber from the Crassus first, or it's going to be one of your Vulcans shooting all of their stuff at it. And honestly, if something's left over after you shoot one of your Vulcans at it, I don't know that the plus one's going to help. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So I I would go with the more reliable, like, getting to re-roll... Um, your your dice because especially on like the hunter I think it's the hunter killer missiles 
that have uh, I think they're the ones that have like D uh, like D six or D three plus three damage. Hunter killer missiles? No, they're heavy one. Actually, I don't think the gunner one. I don't think uh, I don't think gunnery experts helps this this army at all because none of those weapons on those three vehicles are random number of shots uh the now, i'm looking at the flamers, FH- the, the heavy flamer on the vulcan is but yeah i don't know that that's necessarily but he didn't he didn't take any heavy oh he flamers, didn't take them so yeah okay, that's an upgrade enough. yeah i don't think that i don't think that yeah i don't think that helps yeah, yeah i think you're right um, I mean, I love the, the jury rigged repairs is, is good. I'm just trying to see if there's something else that I would want for that. Now he does have the benefit of like the Crassus. It's transport isn't limited by regiment, which is because like in the past, a lot, a lot of times it's like, Oh, if it's not the same regiment, you can't take it. Mm-hmm. Spotter details wouldn't be bad. Add six inches to the range characteristic of heavy weapons with a range of at least 24 inches that models with this doctrine are equipped with. So now you've got 66-inch range on the mega bolters and 42-inch range on uh, heavy stubbers. And the heavy yeah. bolters would be another 40. Like, Granted, most tables are going to be small enough that 60-inch range is enough. Monster hunters might actually be what I go with. Uh, when resolving an attack with a heavy weapon by a model of this doctrine against oh, a monster unit, oh, yeah, an unmodified no, roll of six inflicts mortal wound, uh, one mortal wound. I would take that, because then those oh, Vulcans God, can just all- shoot down. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, yes. Oh, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's yeah, the one that's... you take. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, Monster Hunters, definitely. Um, I mean, man, of which they had something like that on, uh, for, like, vehicle, you know, for, like, going against vehicles but no that one is uh yeah i think mon- i think jury rigged repairs and monster hunters i mean okay cuz like the, like you said the cadian one isn't bad but it doesn't do much because you only have 3 cadian units so right and the cadian situation yeah yeah and then i want to see if the i mean you've got the overlapping fields of fire um cadian regimental doctrine uh Reroll hit rolls of one in the shooting phase for units with this doctrine if they did not move. I mean, that one's not bad if the two Macariuses are just sitting pretty. Mm-hmm. You know, if they just sit there for a while, um, then that's that's a thing you can do. But uh, yeah, I know I think monster hunters because um, that it like you're going to get more use out of it than you will gunnery experts. So yeah. Um, I mean, otherwise, yeah, movement trays are a must. That's the only way you're going to make that game remotely enjoyable for anybody. <laughs> right. But I love the idea of it. I love using the Lord Commissar to kind of get around the the orders issue. And you still have the company commander as backup. It's just not going to be quite as effective. But but that's, you know, it's still good. Now, the engine seer in the Crassus... That's a question. Can somebody who, if you have a repair ability, normally like you can't use abilities on people who are embarked in vehicles, and the engine seer does not specify, it just says that he can fix somebody, fix a vehicle that he's in. This has to be a friendly model within, friendly astromilitarium vehicle within three inches, and it would get D3 lost wounds back. I just don't know if that specifies. Um, or if that if that works if he's embarked in the unit. No, I do think he'd probably have to be he'd have to disembark kind of, to be able to do it. Right. 
Okay, and again, there's nothing in the FAQs about it. Not having played an, a whole lot in this edition means I don't haven't come across this particular situation. But transports embarked. Units cannot normally do anything or be affected in any way while they are embarked, unless specifically stated. Abilities have no effects on units while they are embarked. Unit cannot units cannot do anything or be affected in any way while they're embarked on a transport. So I don't think the engine seer would like because he said he wants him embarked on the Crassus. I don't think he can do anything. He would have to get out to fix it. Which I mean, that's fair. He has to get out, look under the hood, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, it's not bad to kind of have a you know pocket engine seer just to pop out and do repairs. And like I said, he hasn't been uh, uh, upgraded in any FAQs to say that he can do it while embarked. So that would just be one thing to keep in mind is that you can't, he won't just get the D3 repairs on top of what he gets from jury work repairs unless he gets out. I mean, otherwise, though, I mean, the the biggest issue I could see with it is it doesn't have a lot of heavy firepower. But it does have the two Vulcans, which put out a lot, you know, a, a very huge number of shots. Um, you may be wounding a, a number of things on fives, which is uh, could be a bit of an issue. But again, volume of fire will make up for a fair amount of that. Um, I think that's why Monster Hunters makes sense as a strategy for that, because it at least solves your issues against high toughness monsters you're still gonna have difficulty with high toughness vehicles but you know better better than nothing at least agreed agreed um so yeah shay i i mean it sounds like a fun list like i said we just probably switch out expert gunners because unless you're taking any of the heavy flamers you're not gonna or not not expert gunners uh we recommend you switch out uh gunnery experts because you just really don't get any benefit from it but switch that for monster hunters and i think you're pretty much golden and yeah i mean it just it does look like it would be a uh a fun list to play let's see what the chimeras i just want to make sure can you give orders from inside a chimera I know you could once upon a time. Yeah, I don't know about the current. I'm just trying to see, like, like the voice of command rule says, can be only issued, unit may issue one order per turn. And there's no, like, Vox casters or anything you so can equip on vehicles. there is a one CP stratagem, mobile command vehicle. Use the stratagem at the start of your turn. You choose a chimera from your army until the end of the turn. An officer from your army with the voice of command ability may still issue orders whilst embarked in a chimera, measuring measuring ranges uh, from any point on the vehicle and being treated as and treated as being within three inches of a foxcaster. So okay. that's that's how you get around that. Ah, but because of that, it can't serve as a mobile order base for the Lord Commissar. Uh. That's where the other commissar would come in. You'd have to you'd or have to do it with the with the the regular commissar. You wouldn't. There's a company commander. He has a regular commissar in there as well. He does have a regular commissar, but they also don't have the. Oh, they, they also don't, don't have officer. Okay. <laughs> I, I would. I mean, I can't imagine Lord Commissar would would not have officer, but a regular commissar would. I'll double check. Commissar does not have officer. Okay, fair enough. But his he he said like the Chimera can serve as a mobile order base for the Lord Commissar. No, he can't. But he can for the Company Commander. Yeah. Okay. So just be aware of that as well. That's that lack of officer keyword cutting both ways. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. 
Yeah, so the company commander, you might you might want to have the company commander in the in the Chimera with the Psychers. Once upon a time, I know you didn't want to have a Commissar anywhere near Psychers. It's been a while <laughs> since that, though. Because if I remember right, they used, like, yeah, not not much anymore, but once upon a time, they had a rule where they would just, like, they did not like Psychers, and they would just shoot them in the face. But, uh, but yeah. So, yeah. So just be aware, lack of officer cuts both ways. Change up that... Uh, the uh, gunnery experts for monster hunters and this looks like and, and make sure you have plenty of movement trays and this one should just be a really fun thematic list to play and if you have a list you'd like us to review or a letter you'd like us to read on the air a question for us opinion feedback on an episode there's a uh, three good ways to do that first off is emailing us our email addresses are our first names at preferred enemies so rob at kevin at dennis at richard at preferred enemies.com uh, second is Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, you can like us there, follow us and keep track on when episodes come out, things we're working on, etc. Third is Twitter. We are at twitter.com slash preferred enemy singular. And we take, uh, questions and letters from all those sources, collate them together, put them in the hopper and get through as many as we can, uh, for the episode right now that empties out the hopper. So we are clear for the next episode. So if you want to get your letter read on the air, now is a perfect time to get it in. Uh, also we have a Patreon if you want to help support the show. Although if you have money to, to spare, uh, we prefer that that go at this time to, uh, you know, charities in your area, food banks, rent funds, things like that, where, uh, people who are struggling can get, use that for help. But if after that you still want to help out, uh, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash preferred enemies. It is basically an online tip jar. We don't lock any of our content behind a paywall. So all our episodes are free to everyone. But if you want to help support the show and do things like it pays for our podcast hosting, helps us uh, pay for recording services, and uh, pays for new microphones when we, they need replacing or travel expenses when we can start traveling to events again. Uh, all those things really help out. Uh, so, and if you, you even if you just have a dollar, enough people put in a dollar, it adds up. So we're going to go ahead and take a break for some sponsor identification and some audio clips from our fans. And when we come back, it'll be time for our main topic, which is more quite more just random sp- talking about our 10th anniversary because we have no plan for today so 10 years in review 10 years in review we'll see you in a bit miniatures we build them we paint them we love them that's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely and that's where care multicase comes in they offer a complete model storage and transport system they offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam.
Hey there, gang. This is John. You may recognize me as a co-host from the first 40 or so episodes, as well as my likeness on some of the promotional material. It's hard to believe that 10 years have passed, and even harder to believe that we aren't playing Warhammer in our VR mindscapes, but then again, I suppose the future is not what we expected it would be. Jokes aside, congrats to Rob, Dennis, Richard, and Kevin for keeping the show rolling this long. The show may be called Preferred Enemies, but they're still preferred friends of mine. Congratulations, you guys. Hey guys, it's Puck. Just wanted to wish you a congratulations on 10 years in the podcasting world, which is completely amazing. Here's the 10 years more, and hopefully you'll be able to travel back up to Minnesota sometime so we can game again. And it's Imperial Guard, damn it! Hey, preferred enemies, Rob, Dennis, this is Bam from the Flying Monkeys Wargaming Podcast. And I just want to take a quick second to tell you guys congratulations on the 10th anniversary. Uh, it's been cool to guest on the show from time to time, and it's been awesome seeing you guys at tournaments over the years. And I look forward to the next time I can see you guys again. Keep doing the good work, keep putting out the episodes, and keep doing the thing. And uh, like I said, just to reiterate, congratulations on the 10 years. It's been a pleasure to know you guys both. Keep doing what you're doing for the hobby. And uh, thanks for uh, hitting me up and let me know the milestone. You guys uh, do good work. Hey, preferred enemies, it's Alex Hunt giving you a drop in from the Renegade Wargaming crew. I wanted to say congratulations on 10 years. You guys have brought a lot of content um, and some fantastic memories throughout the years. And I have to say that uh, it never gets boring or tiresome to hear from you guys. It always feels like you're right next to me, uh, bitching about the game that we all know and love. Uh, and I can't wait to see you guys in person again, drop some dice and, uh, and buy some beers. I owe you a couple, I'm sure. A couple of you. Yeah. Anyway, um, just wanted to say that it's a, it's an honor being one of the, uh, the temporary, uh, chosen few chairs that sit on the show. Uh, to come in and drop my own opinions as well. So I love you guys, and uh, keep up the great work. I can't wait to see you again soon. Take care now. Hey there, Preferred Enemies crew. I'm Julian here from Germany, so apologies up front for any goofs or weird phrasing and something like that. Um, I'm a long-time listener since the beginning of 7th edition, um, with a break through the whole of 8th. Um, but a friend and I, we started again with 9th edition. Um, by the way, Crusade play is awesome. Um, and you've been an amazing source of inspiration over the whole period of time. Um, when a new episode hits my in my podcatcher, it automatically jumps the episode to the beginning of the playlist. Um, yeah, I love your input to the different factions and news and new releases. And yeah, and every month I feel with anyone from you who hasn't had the time to get some models colored or built. Um, by the way, if you know some anonymous gray models group where I can share my thoughts and problems about my pile of shame. Yeah, um, contacts would be greatly appreciated. 
Yeah, your approach on tactics and lists are a great little insight in the tournament scene and um, other uh, factions I don't play. Um, <clears throat> yeah, because the tournament scene is something I am normally not very interested in, but your little peaks uh, uh, in, inside of it is awesome. Um, yeah, and in general, after listening to one of your episodes, I'm always hyped to do some hobby stuff. And that's, yeah, great. Um, so I want to say thank you. Wish you all the best for your um, for your birthday. And please keep up the great work. It's greatly appreciated. And be assured, here in Germany, you have at least one listener for life. But I think there are plenty more. Bye. Thanks a lot. Hey guys, Matt from Toronto here. Just wanted to say thanks to Rob, Kevin, Richard, and Dennis for providing all sorts of great Warhammer content for us to listen to over the years. Preferred enemies. Hey, Rob, Kevin, Richard, Dennis. This is Nathan Martin from the Show Me Showdown event here in Kansas City. I just want to wish you a big congratulations. 10 years making 40K content. Man, that is quite a feat. It's been a pleasure getting to know you guys over these past few years, seeing you around, you know, at the various 40K events in the KC Metro. And, you know, I hope to see you at Show Me Showdown this year as well. But please just keep the ball rolling, keep making the podcast. I look forward to listening to another 10 years from you guys. Thanks a bunch. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the Battle Mats from Game Mat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a Game Mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which is just kind of a look back at 10 years of preferred enemies and talking about whatever you guys wanted to talk about and just kind of just riffing with it. We could always start with where we started, which was an idea that you had. The idea I had was I wanted to do a podcast about 40K. Um, I'd been listening to... A number of shows have been listening to Dice Like Thunder and Independent Characters, 40K Radio for a while. And around this time, our friends uh, Brady and Dustin had started up uh, <coughs> under discussion. Yes, and you too, Kevin. 
Although, I, okay. were you on the original sure. episodes of that, or would, did you get brought in later as there I, as well? I was on the original episode, but uh, I missed the next couple, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, the, the M-M, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Sorry, something caught my throat. Yeah. But uh, they had recently started up doing a podcast, and... Uh, after and I actually guessed it on a couple of episodes, including uh, there was an episode. I want to say it was like their fourth episode, <laughs> fourth or fifth episode was about Warhammer 40k, and that's where we announced we were going to be doing this as well. Right, and we ended up buying the same equipment that they had at the time, which was a little bitty handheld recorder and a little battery powered handheld recorder, which I still have around here. Yeah, and we went over to Dennis's house because uh, it was the space. You know, we all it kind of the central space we all were used to gathering at, and we sat in his kitchen on his that glass dining table. Well, we didn't sit on it, but we set the recorder on it and uh, set it up. And yeah, that that sound quality was terrible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> It was it was real bad. <laughs> the advantage is that it was super cheap to get set up. Like cuz the the handy HD zoom that we used was what $60 maybe? Like it was Oh yeah, it was yeah. dirt cheap. So, it is a way to get started quickly and find out. And this is what I would recommend to anybody that's thinking about doing a podcast is start with the cheap options. Don't go buy, you know, thousands of dollars of mixing and recording equipment. It, because it's very easy to start something and then realize after a few episodes that, oh, no, I, I hate editing and I don't want to do this. And then you've got thousands of dollars of equipment setting around, you know, just collecting dust. So so don't do that. Make sure, you know, start small and then build up. Because I think it was, what, episode – I think it was episode 50 when we bought our new new equipment now? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which is several iterations old at this point. <laughs> but that was a very humble beginning. And it was like you said, Rob, the theme of the show started from the beginning of just guys who like 40K sitting around a table and talking about it. Yeah. In fact, our first episode was on how to get started in playing 40K and kind of talking about how we got started, which for many of us was buying those. (laughs) Well, a college, like you and I started in like college. But we stopped because it was too expensive. (laughs) Well, yeah, we were college students. But then, like, talking about how we got started, I think it's kind of funny that we just finished up the series on Start Collecting Boxes because it kind of brings it back full circle to getting started with, like, a lot of the Apocalypse box sets that they came out with back in the day. I mean, that's how you got me back into the game was you guys, for the holidays one year, got me the Apocalypse with all the Eldar jet bikes. Mm -hmm. Yep, the Wind Rider... Oh, I can't remember the full name of that box, but it was the Windrider box. Because yep. it was like nine nine jet bikes, an Autark, and uh, a, a Viper. Viper, if I remember right. Yeah. Yep. It it was a great thing, and that was exactly the thing I wanted to play. So it's like, hey, here, and, and you guys reeled me in, and I haven't looked back. Yeah. So so what was, and and I know Rob and, and Dennis, you guys played back in college. <laughs> sort of, yeah. Uh, but what what was everyone's first model that they got? Oh gosh! Um, uh, technically, my first models were the uh, the Space Marines from the second edition, like starter set. And technically, I'm going to be with Rob. I think I had the Space Marines and the Orcs from the first thing. The first character I actually bought 
Um, I, I can't remember if they were together or separate, but it was either Mar- Markai or Gazgul and him. Because I really wanted to play him and their orcs in the box because, dude, that little guy had a two-up and vulnerable save. He was awesome. <laughs> I mean, he couldn't do right. anything else, but I mean... <laughs> and I don't play orcs anymore. <laughs> now, I think my... Uh, I, th- I want to say my first character was... I think my first character model was actually a tech marine, but the first model other than my, like the, the rank and file Marines that I put together and painted that I was really happy with was actually like one of the old metal dreadnoughts. And yeah, so those, those would have been my first model. I had a cardboard one, man. Cardboard orc dreadnought is the best. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man! How about you, Richard? What, what was your first model? <laughs> yeah, I think my 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 first model was the metal fourth edition orc big mech with Ooh, the shock attack. To nice. start with. I remember that because we we're over at your place when you got it. Yep, and I put him together, and he sat so long for un- unpainted. I think it was. A few years later, I finally painted him, and it's just this a, is so much fun, oh, oh, right? And, and like he just kind of embodied like how I got into orcs, and and like just the randomness that that they that they typify. How about you, Kevin? So I actually started in in fantasy because. Um, you know, at the time, uh, Brady, co-host on on uh, under discussion, wanted to get into fantasy. So uh, we had originally picked up starter boxes. Uh, I he picked up Empire, and I picked up my High Elves, um, and I started working on that. And those are the first models that I like assembled and actually painted. I still think to this day, I don't know that Brady's actually built his Empire out of that box, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, which is really funny. And then. Um, after I kind of got some of that stuff painted, we played some games, you know, in his basement. And then we were trying to find people that played the game. And there just really wasn't at that time. And this was the tail end of fourth edition, I think, or third edition, tail end of third edition, 40K. Um, and like, there just wasn't a, there just wasn't in our area like a market for, for fantasy. Um, so at that point, that was right around the same time that the apocalypse boxes all started. Um, so I, you know, I decided that if I was going to do this, I wanted to get into 40k. Um, and I was trying to decide between the Tau Empire Battle Force and the Tyranid Battle Force. And I decided that I liked tanks more. Um, so I picked up that Tau Battle Box. And then I think, you know, just the, the crisis suits in that box were, you know, the first models for 40k that I put together and painted. Um, and I still have them somewhere. Like they're all magnetized and everything. Cause I, I, I realized very quickly that I wanted to be as cheap about this as possible. So I wanted to keep flexibility and options. So I learned magnetizing and stuff like that before I learned like painting and stuff. <laughs> I mean, you're, you, you did the smart path. I still haven't <laughs> like, well, I've, okay. I, tr- I've done a couple of attempts at magnetizing Tau crisis suits, but I've never been really happy with how it's worked out because I always, you always end up with like the weapons that just kind of start drooping after a bit. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. Not, like it's not great. Like I, you know, some of the, those early ones that I've done with magnetizing, I probably, 
you know, I've, I would probably redo and do differently now, but, um, yeah, like I, it, it was interesting to start working with that though. And like working with that mod, you know, the, the magnets and stuff like that and drilling out holes. Cause I think it, it made me approach model building in a different way. And I've always enjoyed the model building for 40 K much more than like painting. Um, and I think eventually as we get one, I think as, as I kind of move forward with model building, like I think that's gotten me more into conversions than I probably would have. if I've just started off following the instructions and, you know, building the models the way they did it. Cause I, had, you know, I, I had been building like model cars and model airplanes you know, my entire childhood because my older brothers and my dad were like huge into model airplanes, model planes, uh, you know, model cars, stuff like that. So I had knew how to do, you know, use the plastic cement, put them together and cut things off the sprue and all that. So it was kind of an easy transition into, into building the models. And then, you know, I wanted to get them on the table and get them played. I, I think the first like fully painted force that I had for a game was probably like a year or two later after I picked up the, original um black reach box i i played with the uh squadron of space marines in that and i had them fully painted and they look awful in comparison now but you know <laughs> but you guys gotta start, start somewhere, somewhere. <laughs> yeah exactly so let's see so so technically yeah dennis and i are first our first factions were orcs and space marines uh, respectively. Yeah, I always dreamed of Eldar even back then. <laughs> uh, but yeah, now like I would say in our our modern, if we if we skip that that introductory level and get into the like the the iteration we're in now that we've been playing for the last decade plus. Um, so first armies, Dennis, yours was Eldar because that's what we hooked you up with. Yep, and first models was that <laughs> Windrider host box. Was, yep, uh, <laughs> mine was Tau. Uh, because giant robots looked cool and it was something that was different than what I had seen before, you know, from my, my first foray into 40 K and then Richard yours was obviously orcs since you started with the shock attack gun. Right. And, and then the black reach box that I bought like five of <laughs> it was a every single one of those is a fantastic years. perch it is it's still one of the best yes. boxes they've ever done i mean i even got one yep. of those boxes i think i split with richard and i think the space marine half ended up uh, maybe with dan maybe with john maybe i, I don't know uh, i think somewhere. with dan because <laughs> i think i think it was dan's although i don't know if he still has it or if it's in storage somewhere or what i think he has those pieces i think he i think he kept them uh and then Kevin technically sounds like yours was Space Marines. Uh, it, it was Tau because I built my Tau okay. as like the first army, but like the first like actual like I have an army completely painted and ready to go was was my was Space Marines that I picked up probably from from Richard as like one of his start collecting box, you know, one of the the Black Reach boxes, um, right? <laughs> but because uh, I I had the you know I I remember having that that captain there's a unit of space marines and then i believe like scouts i think were in that i don't remember exactly what was in black reach terminators it had, it had a it had a dreadnought, a dreadnought. oh that's uh, right yeah that dreadnought yeah yeah the dreadnought and the unitech marines yeah and a unit of, unit of terminators yeah and a unit yeah the unit of terminators and the the captain yeah, because I think the- I think what it was was you know when I first had my like a fully painted army was we were running like a five hundred or seven hundred and fifty point 
game at the store and like I just was like I wanted to have a fully painted army because I had been playing with gray plastic because I was much more interested in building models and uh you know and playing games than I was about worrying about painting and stuff. So when I, I remember when I showed up and I actually had like a fully painted army, like this is my painted army. And then, you know, look back at them now and I'm like, oof, that was rough. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I started with Tau. I, I played because I, I started with Tau in fourth edition and I or, and I went all of fourth edition and I think all of fifth edition without winning a single game with my Tau. Because the, the first I game of Tau that I won was the first game of sixth edition that I played against Richard's Orcs, where I like shot him just straight off the table because rapid fire weapons were so good in that edition. <laughs> right. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. And so, yeah, looking back, because, you know, looking back through the, the full episode list, which, of course, uh, the website does in reverse order because that's how the, uh, you know, like the RSS feeds work for everything. Mm-hmm. But like going back oh just over a year ago in 2008 we did the decade in review because 20 the 2010s came to a an end and that's when we talked about like the history of 40k which more or less aligns with the history of 40k while we, you know, over the podcast. But uh looking back at all the things we we've discussed and especially like going back to early 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 episodes i'm still paging mm-hmm. back here um well like we did you did things like the um you know we we did a series series on like the start collecting boxes and stuff like that but you also did like breakdowns by force work slots as well oh yeah and like yeah. that's a thing that's changed so drastically between now and then is that you know in those older editions every every single army had locked in force works like you had one force work chart for everybody and, like, I think it was Tyranids was, like, the big one that's, like, oh, all of their good things are in elites. So you take, you know, three of their best elite units and then their next four best units you never get to play with because they you only have three elite slots or heavy slots or whatever it was. But, like, that was always that was always one of the problems is that that force work was very constrained unless you were a space marine force and had flexibility to, like, build your army the way you wanted to. Yeah, and so, yeah, like looking back on some of our, our, you know, some of the episodes, so that like the history of the show, episode three was our first good, the bad, and the weird, <laughs> where you know we just like <laughs> the things we like, the things we didn't like, and the or like the units we like, the units we don't like, and the units they're just like this should fit somewhere but doesn't. Um, yeah, episode six is when we did our first take on the know your slots, which was talking about four sword slots. We did a couple episodes about assault, uh, dealing with, uh, like, anti- or doing anti-armor. We had a couple episodes, yeah, episode 9, open mic night at the terrain shop, and open yeah. night, fi- episode 15, open mic night at the painting table. We started talking about, uh, like, uh, episode 16 was our first, like, codex review for a brand new codex, Necrons, which... Back then, that was a big thing because codexes came out like once or twice a year. Yep. Yeah. Like, like we had, you know, there were a lot more like, I wouldn't say filler episodes, but they kind of feel like, you know, these filler episodes where it's like you can talk about something that, you know, is kind of existent in the game rather than just constantly like what's new and what's coming out. Because, you know, we can look at force work slots. You can look at 
elements of list building or relics or things like that because, yeah, you were getting two codexes a year. So the meta was pretty settled. We weren't getting FAQs. There weren't competitive play wasn't nearly the focus like the way it is now. So like net listing was a thing, but it wasn't as big of a thing. So it just the meta like was a lot more set. So you could talk about other things, which was good starting out, but I'm kind of glad that we now have like a ready regular stream of like new release and changes. Uh, it keeps the environment much more dynamic. Yeah, I like something a little bit in the middle, I think, though. I don't miss the days of 8th edition when we were having two, three codexes come out in a month. Sure. Uh, no, that, that was, that was, that was too <laughs> That was too much. I mean, it was good that the game was getting updated that quickly, but at from a planning episode section, like it's like, oh, we want to talk about anything else. Anything else. Nope, new book, new book, new book, new book. Yeah, episode 19 is when we started our series on armies for noobs. Like, hey, if you're a new player, you might like this army, and why? Episode 26 was our first anniversary, and you may notice that the math on that doesn't work out. (laughs) Because we released an episode every two weeks, and over 10 years, you would think we would be at 260 episodes, and yet here we are at episode 236. And I... Offer no excuses other than to say life happens. There have been a number of months where, especially around the holidays, we're scheduling everybody together. You know, when mm. we were in person, it was hard enough. Now that we are all remote, and it sometimes even gets a little bit harder. And like we've gone from recording on Thursday nights, and also we are ten years older, and staying up later is not always the easiest thing. <laughs> So, uh, so Sunday mornings is, has become our new recording time, but, uh, yeah, it's like we've lost about a year's worth of episodes over the last decade, you know, just f- through drift of like an episode here, an episode there And 2020 has been a, a rougher year than most, but it's like, we, we, I think we're, you know, we're still going. We, we, I try to keep on that two week schedule as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, life changed. You know, life happens. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Episode uh, 32, our first edition change. Technically, episode 31 was Farewell 5th Edition. Episode 32 was Hello 6th Edition. Uh, And we got to... We actually spent several episodes kind of digging into the the guts of 6th Edition. Well, and we also were keeping episodes a lot shorter then, too. So, like, oh, yeah. I'm looking at some of these other ones, and it's like, oh, this is under two hours. That was, that must have been neat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> episode 38 was, uh, yeah, an hour 40. Uh, episode 39, hour 47. Yeah. It, our episodes right now are hitting on average two and a half, maybe a little bit over. There was a while where we were doing like three to four hour episodes regularly, and that was killing me. It wore me out, too. <laughs> But you even oh, worse, yeah. Yeah, because uh, a little bit of inside baseball here, and I me- I know I've mentioned this in, in a couple of past episodes, but on average, every hour of content you hear requires at least two hours of editing. Um, and uh, I've managed to speed that up because I do most of my editing at 1.5 speed, so everybody sounds like chipmunks while I'm editing, but it helps me get through the episodes faster. <laughs> Um, a couple of things that have also helped speed it up somewhat is now the the recording service we have is a true multi-track service. So all of our audio tracks are separate. 
because in the past when like when we first started we were all gathered around one microphone and obviously you can't multi-track that it's one audio feed but then uh in episode 50 we upgraded to a recording like an actual soundboard with four separate mics but that still went into the computer through one input jack so i was still having to do sound cleanup on one track for four people but now that i've got four separate tracks like cleaning up background noise on one person's track is way easier so my editing process has gotten faster also i've just gotten better at it over the last 10 years you've Um, leveled up fun (laughs) i have leveled up uh fun fact there are multiple times sometimes multiple times in a single episode where what you'll hear is one sentence, but what I've actually done is there were like two or three different takes, usually because I have flubbed up saying something in the middle. And I have learned the careful art of cutting those two together so that it sounds like one one sentence and one train of thought. So Yeah, I appreciate you making me sound like I'm coherent. So that's that's good. <laughs> I, I rarely I have there have been a few times where we've gotten something like straight up wrong and then we find out like just after we say that and or sometimes after reflection post recording there have been a few times where I've excised obvious mistakes but for the most part I just have to do cleanup but yeah I do not miss the four hour episodes I know fans probably enjoyed having like four hours of content to dig through, but I'm no, no, I'm good. (laughs) Episode 44, new year, new codex, new host. Cause that's when Kevin joined. So when the podcast actually started, got it. Yeah. (laughs) And that was also like one of the first times we'd been gone for like a month. Cause we had, and part of that was the holidays. Cause our last episode before that was posted Christmas Eve, and then we recorded again on uh, January 20th. And that also, there's a reason there's a missing episode there, is that's also when the, the Lost Angry Sode happened. <laughs> and so we just, yeah. we, that, that episode was not kept. Uh, there's a lot of, there, there's not a lot of things that we don't keep, but that that's like the one episode that we recorded and then I then deleted. But see, uh, before that, we had done a, a small series, Life in the Lower Tier, talking about uh, us, like armies. No, <laughs> well, I mean, armies that were just not performing well competitively, like armies where sixth edition had not been kind to them yet. Yeah, we only did a couple of those, but it was uh, Eldar and Tyranids were the first two we did. I know, and that was um, yeah. big when I played Eldar, so I was thrilled when Eldar got good, but by then I'd bought new armies and moved on to the other armies that were in bottom tier. <laughs> <laughs> Just chasing that spoon, huh? I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was interesting because, like, again, like, going back to that time, like, we had time to, like, actually look at those lower tier armies and, and dedicate an entire episode to be like, okay, here's why Tau suck right now, or here's why Eldar suck right now. Whereas like right now, like I would love to be able to do that, but we we're getting new codexes every time we record. So it's really hard for us to stop and <laughs> kind of look at the state of things that aren't just the new releases as they come out. Let's see. Uh, yeah. Episode, episode 47 was when the new codex demons 
the Codex Demons Codex was coming out, but we didn't have access to an English copy, so there had been a German copy leaked and partially translated. So we did an episode <laughs> called Sprechen Sie Demon. Um, yeah, uh, we started. We did a series. Let's build a list. Trying our hands at building some lists, with, like a particular theme in mind. Uh, let's yeah. see. Episode 57. This one was a fun one. Um, and the last one of its kind, Preferred Enemies does Games Day. Yeah. Games Day was such a blast. Like, I, I had so much fun with that. <laughs> I still have the yeah, two models I bought from there. Yeah. Yeah, that that was that was one where having the portable setup actually worked really well because we were able to set up a table in our hotel room and record. And I think that was our, one of our first recording on the road as a crew. I think so. Episodes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause I think there'd been a few episodes where like Dennis recorded like a journal from a, from a tournament and things like that. But that was the first time we actually had like a group with us. And uh, yeah, we would do that more often. <laughs> we would eventually do that more often. Um, yeah, we you know we did a lot of the standard review things. Episode, let's see, episode seventy seven. Uh, we got seventh edition, which man, the numbering on that worked out nicely. Sounds right. very lucky, right? I was very lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> seventh edition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, sixth edition didn't last long out by itself. Episode eighty nine. This one was a big one. The Renegade Open, the first time we all traveled yeah. to a, a, a big GT. When, uh, yeah, you and I, Kevin, went up there and got to play and podcast from the Renegade Open. That that started a th- started at one of our favorite trends, which was traveling to events and and helping them yeah. promote it and covering the event afterwards. Yeah, and that was that was so much fun. Like I said, I, I got thoroughly pantsed in that event but i had a blast like i you know and meeting a lot of people that have you know continued to guest on the show and um helped us run other events and so like that like that that whole thing was was great um and it was the second renegade open so i don't later you know a year year later but it was the second renegade open when i started we started getting recognized and that was weird (laughs) that was like we would when we were just standing in line and people were like, oh, you guys are the hosts of that podcast. And I'm like, I don't now I don't want to talk out loud anymore because I don't want people to recognize my voice. <laughs> like, I don't know how to handle this. <laughs> yeah, and I believe the second one was when I was with you guys. The I second, think the yeah, so, second yeah, Renegade. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Although before that, we had episode 106, which was the Iron Halo GT, which was the one you and I yep. went to. Yep, in in the pub. The one held in a restaurant. Restaurant pub, yeah. (laughs) God, that event has come a a very long way. (laughs) Jason's done just become an amazing part of the community. I mean, once again, that's some place that started small with humble beginnings, and look what it's turned into. Oh, no kidding. And in fact, Jason is running a GT this weekend, which is why a number of our (laughs) guests, uh, potential guests, couldn't make it. And in fact, episode 102 uh, is when Jason was interviewed on the show promoting the upcoming Iron Halo. Mm-hmm. And we and then a couple episodes later, we actually showed up. So that that has just been, uh, you know, just a lot of fun. One of our my favorite things. Um, 
Let's see. Oh, episode 108. Here's a little bit of the Wayback Machine dealing with destroyer weapons. <laughs> oh, another thing I do not miss. <sighs> yeah. I sometimes do, but then again, I was running armies that had them. That flicked yeah. up the D. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're just still mad that I deed away your, your <laughs> Lord of Skulls. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Very much so. <laughs> took a D to the face. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Yeah, that D explode all over the, all over that Lord of Skull's face. Wait, what? What are we talking about again? <laughs> no. um, let's see, episode uh, one ten. Uh, your rules questions. One of our first mailbag episodes. Yeah, and we've gotten subsequently lazier and lazier ever since. <laughs> well, because we don't have to come up with our own topics anymore. It's so great. <laughs> oh, I know it's fantastic. <laughs> uh episode 114 making missions with pimp cron that that was a fun that was fu- episode yeah. that yes. was a really cool episode yeah. and i think it was it, it pointed out a lot of great things to to understand about mission design and of course the the way gw has addressed mission design has changed a lot since then as well um although a lot of the uh they work more of their mit like the missions tend to be relatively uh, homogenous now with like slight slight tweaks here and there or they're they're putting more mm-hmm. focus on letting the players choose what objectives they're going to go for and it tends to be more focus on okay so we're going to change up how the war zone affects the mission and in ways that's similar to what pimp cron brought up it's like when you change up missions you don't have to change a whole ton of things just make a few small tweaks here and there and it can and it will change how the battle feels and it's it's an interesting take on that that philosophy but looking at the battles the battlefield rather than the mission changing things but you know the mm-hmm. the movement of or the movement towards putting mission mission selection into the hands of the players especially you know we kind of saw it with the itc and and i think it you know some of it came out of the uh the tactical objectives and finding a way to adapt that and trying to balance missions for multiple armies i mean renegade open you know did that with their first mission packets where you had like you would pick your objectives and things like that and so it's interesting how we've kind of come around to that being the standard now is player defined missions rather than rather so, than so much the uh like TO designed missions. Yeah, and I think honestly I think that's a lot better. I think it's a much better place to be as a game because players are the ones making choices. Uh, and I it I think you, it just it just yeah, it's just a lot better design. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Let's see. Yeah, twenty uh, episode one fifteen was our return to the Renegade Open. Yep. Uh, and actually, uh, right after that, I want to point this out because it's something that we've sort of followed up on, but like never really have. Was like the first time we asked a poll question about like what type of preferred enemies gear people would like, which I think all we've done is we we've done the dice. <laughs> we've done the dice. <laughs> I don't think we've done anything anything else as far as like merchandise and stuff. But uh, yeah. Uh, if people if people would like to you know would like there to be like preferred enemies gear like let us know and we'll we can certainly look into it. Um, I've also but, been trying to figure out something good like like templates aren't a thing anymore. Like movement templates mm-hmm. are a little bit, but like that's changed. Dice are always useful no matter what edition yeah. you're playing in. The only other thing I can think of is like shirts and stuff like that. And I'm 
can never think of anything good to put on a shirt other than just our logo, right. you know? Yeah. But if people are if people are interested in that, like let us know. I mean, that's it's a question from six years ago, but you know, but still it's still applicable. an open question. If people have yeah, if people have things they want to see, let us know. Yep. Um, episode one seventeen is when we started the So You Wanna Start an Army because they had just started releasing the start collecting boxes five yeah. years ago. So let's see, episode 124, uh the Flying Monkey GT. Yes. <laughs> Which yeah. I want to say, Richard, you were with us for that first Flying Monkey, yes. weren't you? Yes, I actually, I went and I didn't play in the main GT, I, I, but I did participate in, like, the Beer Hammer. Yes, yes, I remember yeah. the Beer Hammer event. Beer Hammer was really fun. Yep. Yeah. And that's also one of the first times that Dave... Dave Araman sat in with us, not as a guest we are interviewing, but as just another like temporary co-host and he's now our he is our official fifth chair i miss seeing dave and i look forward to to going to events again to see him yes since at the time we could also joke that um we had people to go to tournaments and richard finally made it to a big one and we still never had all four at one event right (laughs) (laughs) yeah have we ever had all four of us at an event other than our own uh No. no Okay, I because the so. one year Richard came up to Renegade, Dennis couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it's it's always been th- at most three of us at an event other than our own. Let's see. And then a few episodes later, episode 127, our first Midwest Conquest. Oof. Ah, oh, man, that, that has been... It has it, you know only five years ago, and so technically, let's see, we ran 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. We ran four Midwest Conquests. Last year would have been the fifth one. I'm not counting Midwest Conquest Zero, which had four players, two of which are hosts from the show. But yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask about that if you're counting the no, the no, I'm not, I'm not going no. to include. The, uh, no, I'm not <laughs> Midwest Conquest hey, Zero. But I, d- I did really good in that together. one. <laughs> yeah. I was in the top it, three. <laughs> well, well, that's good, that's good job. Good, <laughs> good job. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, not that was one where we threw it together in less than a month, and word didn't get out, and we only had four players, and that was because two of you, <laughs> Dennis and Richard, played as well. But, yes, uh, and 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 that is still the highest I have placed in a tournament because uh, I came in fourth. <laughs> but no uh midwest conquest 2016 um we took a lot of the things we learned from watching other events and realized how much harder it actually is to do than just to watch it happen but uh it obviously didn't scare us away because we kept doing it um i mean we took it as lessons learned and we did better from it we did um, and that's like really all you can hope for is that you can make each each year just a bit better or a lot better in some cases than the one before it. Um, but we also got to do our first raffle army, which was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah. so I, yeah, it's like I, I, I've burned out a little bit on running the event uh, and it just became harder as we became more geographically diverse. But, um, uh, but I look forward to to being able to take part in it 
in the future and, and help out with it because it was a lot of fun. And one of my favorite things and something I have missed horribly over this last year has been the friends that we have made at these various events all around the Midwest and yeah. that we get to see uh, time and time again at events. And like I said, we tried to get a number of them on the show to record with us today. But as I said, they're all playing in GTs <laughs> this weekend, so, both in Minnesota and down in Oklahoma. So. So you're, so you're saying the real 40K was the friends we made along the way? Actually, you know what? The real 40K is the friends. You, no, I, I am not being facetious. Yeah, yeah. That What has brought me the most enjoyment of this has been, I mean, I, lo- I love building models. I love painting. I love rolling dice. I love playing. But the best part is that I'm doing it with mm-hmm. friends. And if, if they're not friends I have, they're friends I haven't made yet. So True. yeah, that, that's absolutely kind of the, the attitude I want to take. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. The community between, you know, the, the podcast listeners and the people we meet at events and the people that come to our events, like that's, yeah, that's why we keep doing this. Cause I think that's, you know, one of the questions that, that's, that listeners submit is like, you know, how do you keep, how do you keep doing this? How do you keep the interest? It's, it's just that, you know, it's the fact that we keep getting positive feedback. We keep getting, you know, people telling us that they enjoy the show. We keep seeing our friends at events. Like that's, that's why we keep doing it. Or at least that's why I keep doing it. Yeah. And we don't and we don't have an exit strategy. That's the other part. Yeah, we don't have an exit strategy. We have no plan on leaving. <laughs> Let's see. Episode 136 was Iron Halo, and this time it was you and I, Kevin. Like Dennis couldn't make it down there. Yeah. But yeah. uh but that was also uh Dave came down from Minnesota to play in the Iron Halo, and that was also the first event where I took my new sister's army. Yes. Yeah. And you did Gosh, you did pretty well with that sister's army. I, I did okay. I did okay with it. it. Yeah, and I, I I did bring home best adeptus sororitas player because I was the only one. I won by hey. default. Yeah. <laughs> Two greatest words in the English language: default. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> uh, it's an older the math on that. It checks work. out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a blast at that event though. Like, and I I believe that was. I think that was the second or third like event in a row that like you and I had to play each other in. Yes, cuz we planned <laughs> because to we, play each other yeah. in Flying Monkey. Yep. Yep. And then we played each other in Iron Halo. Yeah. That was that was fun. <laughs> yeah. It's always good to travel, travel and then get to have to play people you normally play anyway. <laughs> <laughs> At least we know which actually uh ding it paired against each other in the first yeah, you know, like that's right. always been a thing that people have tried to avoid, but no, like I and I joke about it. Like I, it's I, I like playing. You know, again, I like just playing whoever I can play. So, but like it, it is one of those things we joke about. But it was really, it is kind of fun to play in those competitive events because you know we do have different play styles and different. You know, it's a different environment than than normal. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's see, episode one thirty nine again, Renegade Open. That's the one where I came back with my best painted award for. Uh, for my sisters and interestingly enough i tied with alex hunt <laughs> yeah. so uh which I, I which i have not kept up by comparison <laughs> well and this is also that's also the renegade open where i i managed to go two and four but finish in the top 16 because of the way potting worked <laughs> right but hey it's still technically technically a top 16 finish at a tournament so you'll take it <laughs> yay i i <laughs> That was that was the event though that like I managed to get, I managed to do well enough to get put into like the second, um, 
you know, the second pod. So that's why I finished in this top 16 and then I bombed out of my pod. But though that second day when I had to play Kyle, um, Kyle Thompson, is it? Yeah. I had to play Kyle Thompson. I played, um, uh, Aaron Shearer and then I played, uh, Josh Death actually. And those are three of the games that I've like learned the most about, like about the way my army played and the way 40 K is played and like stuff from that where I'm like, Oh no, I'm, I've been doing this a while and I'm still not playing it at that, you know, at that level. So like I, I learned a lot in those games, despite also getting just completely pants. <laughs> right. And well, that's like, you know, we had that listener ask us last episode, uh, like, well, how do you, how do you learn your army? Like, how do you learn what works and what doesn't? It's like, you just play it over and over again. You get your butt mm-hmm. beat and you figure out what, what worked and what didn't. Well, and that was like, I think, a solid year or so into me playing Corn Demon Kin, where that was the only army I played. Right. And like, I, you know, I was taking it to all of our local events. I had taken it to Flying Monkey. I had taken it to Midwest, to uh, uh, Iron Halo that year. And then I took it to Renegade Open. And by that point, when I got there, like, the reason why I was in the second pod was because the two games that I won day one, like, I crushed my opponents like i com- comprehensively won those games because i knew what the army did i knew how to play and i knew what the style was so like you know it, it's it was that was very elucidating because like oh yeah just playing your army repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly lets you understand it and then playing against good opponents lets you understand like the next level of playing that army so like there's always more to learn which is which is the other thing about this hobby is like oh yeah i think i have mastered this army Oh, there's there's a whole other level beyond that. So, and there's right. always that level to aspire to. Yeah, and so that's just that lesson of always just just play it over and over and over and over again. And that's that what's what also wasn't it Aaron that you lost twice to in that event? Yes, I lost twice. I lost twice to Aaron in that event because um it the it got drawn out where I played him I think the second game on day 1 and that was when Eldar warp spiders were just super nasty and i had nothing i had no answer to his warp spiders and that first game and like got you know i i managed to make it a game because i was able to hold objectives and kind of play to the objectives so it was a close loss on paper but like i did not play that game well when i played him the second time i actually had answers and i had kind of you know and i was able to be and he even mentioned that when we talked it's like at the end of the game he's like oh yeah yeah you played it much better this time because you knew what they could do, you knew how to pin them in. You, you know, you actually had strategies for them. So that was that was a very good like learning experience that weekend. Yeah, and, and that's one of the reasons why we love going to to tournaments. Anytime you can get to a tournament and get several games in, um, it's one of the best. Like just even as a casual, a casual or slightly competitive player, it's still one of the best things you can do is just to go to an event to get in those games. And mm-hmm. just just play and just get get the lessons. Um, let's see, episode uh, one forty two, Kevin's favorite Codex <laughs> review, Agents of I, the Imperium. I will stand by this. At the time, in you know, gosh, what edition was that? Seventh. seventh. It was the end of seventh. Yeah, at the end of seventh, that was literally the worst book they could have released. Like it was a terrible book. It didn't do, it didn't do what they wanted it to do. It didn't. It didn't function competitively. It didn't function fluff-wise. The the list building and everything in the game at that point did not support what they were trying to do. This is this is a codex that they should have 
And, and, and it was especially frustrating coming right off the supplement with the, uh, the Trader Legion supplement, because Trader Legion's did everything that we asked, like let gives us unique rules for each faction and lets them play together, but like gives you bonuses and benefits if you're playing, you know, if you're playing them separately. And then agents of the inquisition just didn't do any of that. Like it just, I, I, I you know, we talk about in the episode, it just doesn't do what it set out to do on any level. I think now with the way that keywords work and the way that list building works now, I think you could do a better version of Agents of the Imperium, and it would work better. But at the time, it just did not fit what they were doing game game design wise, and it was it was such a stark contrast to the Trader Legion's book, which was so good that this next thing that they released was so very clearly done with a different design aesthetic in mind, and that yeah. that was the frustration. Well, and like you said, it was a book that was not designed for it was it was being built for an edition that did not support its concepts. Um, yeah, and of course, the irony of it is it was one of the last codex. It was the last codex, I think, of seventh edition, and it, like that's the even the frustrating thing about Trader Legions. You got six months of Trader Legions, and then yes. because of the nature of eighth edition, all of it was gone. Yeah, and it was very it, like. It was a it was a weird transitionary period. Yeah. Going through I, those it, two editions. It Trader like Trader Legions felt like it was a book they had planned, but I think they the timing was bad because you didn't have it for very long. Agents of the Imperium felt very much like well, we need to put something out, let's dump it here at the end of the edition and then it'll be gone in six months. And like that's what was so frustrating, is that like it could have been so much better than it was and it just it it was just a, a wet fart of a of a book <laughs> right but tell us how you really feel kevin i i'm like i said i'm not going to i'm not gonna like sugarcoat it be like in retrospect no it was a great book no it was a crappy release at that time oh we i would love so much eight we got so much uh, mail on that though, remember yeah i mean I, I yeah i mean and look if if you enjoyed it and people people liked that book that's great. I'm glad you got something out of it. It didn't do it didn't work on any level for any of us. And like all four of us or at least three of us, I don't know about Dennis, but all three of us, I think at the time had stuff that we could use out of it. And like, oh, this is gonna be great. We can do all these things. And it just didn't do any of them. It didn't work at all. Like you you had, you know, and we got a lot of people that sent in those sent in their uh, you know, letters that are like, oh, well, if you do this and you do this, then it works. It's like, yeah, but I shouldn't have to house rule a codex to make it functional. Like, oh, just frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then shortly after that, we had, in fact, the next episode kicked off the end of 7th edition storyline with that uh, the Gathering Storm books, Fall of yep. Cadia, Fracture of Biltan, and Rise of the Primarch, uh, which th those were a fun trio of books. And the best thing about it was even more so than we had seen, like we saw a little bit with uh, like Wrath of Magnus when like the planet Prospero came back. Uh, or you know, Prospero was right, but like the plan of the sorcerers, like came like mm -hmm. got pulled into real space, and um, we saw a little bit with like the Damocles Gulf and you know like the the Tau storyline, but this was like one of the first times we'd actually seen the forty k storyline moved forward in a meaningful fashion. 
Yeah, and I, it was huge. Yeah, I'll say that's pretty much one of the highlights I have of my entire 40K career is just when that happened because it, it felt like something was happening. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, 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 but like, because before that, like, they'd had storyline events, um, and then they'd always retcon it and like just reset everything to, oh, it's, it's almost time for that 13th Black Crusade. Uh, yeah. We already talked about it, but we're going to do it again. They'd always reset it to five minutes before midnight. Yeah. And right. they kind of pushed it forward, which was good. Yeah. And they're continuing to do that. They're, now, they've been kind of working on like getting all the codexes updated for 8th edition. And now 9th edition we have. And I'm, I'm they're starting to move the story forward a bit more. And I think it's also the same thing we're seeing over in Age of Sigmar. Age of Sigmar's had, like, they had the storyline at the beginning, which was Sigmar returns with the Stormcast Eternals to try to beat back the forces of chaos and are somewhat successful. And then you had Nagash and the Soul Wars story event, which set the te- set uh, the theme for the next year or two of Age of Sigmar. And now we're they're doing a series called Broken Realms, which has very much a Gathering Storm kind of feel, where you've got several different individual storylines that are all kind of weaving together as you read each book, the way these did. And so I think they found, like, even more so than when they did, uh, like, the end times of the old world, uh, they're like they're using these big events to move additions forward, but they're doing it in a more satisfactory way. I think. And yeah, I, so, I think they learned a lot from the like, end times because I think they I, did. I think that I, I think they probably pushed the needle a little bit too far with that, and I think that turned a lot of people off of Age of Sigmar in the beginning. So I, I think they they definitely learned to to move the story forward, but not go quite as hard as they did with with the end times yeah right Let's see and then um episode 152 was eighth edition which came right on the tails of uh midwest conquest 2017 because that was like the last big event of seventh edition when it was actually real relaxing because nobody cared anymore <laughs> yeah because the 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 previews, I think, had already been released. Like people kind of knew what was coming. We and definitely was, knew well, that it was like, that this was weekend. The last one. Yeah, and then yeah. that weekend is when they like finally dropped. Like, here's what the rules are going to look like. And I, I remember, remember like just between rounds, pe- looking online, trying to you know, like on our phones, trying to see yep. what had been revealed, and then talking about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and this was also one of the uh, first times like uh, Games Workshop had announced that a new edition was coming. Yeah, yeah, uh, in like April. So we had like a couple of months to to you know get a feel for like the edition is winding down. We've got a new one coming. What can we expect? I I feel like this is right around the time that like as we we talk about you know good guy GW. This is right around that time, and I think you can kind of almost definitively like you know cut it off between the end of seventh and like agents of the Imperium versus like the gathering storm. That kind of feels like it's the cutoff of like when GW started changing their company's company tact of like, we're going to support the game. We're going to do FAQs. We're going to engage. This is when they brought their Facebook pages back. This is when we're going to do like 
previews of the releases and like let people know what's coming. And ever since like this point forward, the game has exploded partially because eighth edition, ninth edition are better rules, but also because they re-engaged with the community again. And like, this is where you start feeling that impact. And really from this point forward, like it's, there's still been some rough, rough patches, but like, it feels like we have the wind at our backs finally, as opposed to like, before where we were fighting, you know, GW's information or, you know, leaks and, and the general kind of apathy around the game to, to put episodes out. And I think that this really refreshed our, our view of the podcast, but also just people's view of the game in general. Yeah. Well, and actually the first hints at, at good guy GW was back in like September of 2016. So like a few months before, because that was when, like there was a leak uh, mm-hmm. of a new model, and I'm trying to remember which one it was. Uh, Ex- well, it, it was it was it was hard, something, wasn't it? Well, no. It, well, there was a, le- a leak of one chaos model, and I want to say it was it was something. I want to say it was something Zinchi, but I don't remember exactly. But then, yeah, the follow up was, oh, that was cool. But did you know this? And that's when they showed off the new Karn model. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because they did the whole video with the yeah, like yeah. Uh, digging in the trash can. And was it was it Magnus? It was no. It, well, it was the plastic chaos sorcerer. OK, that's or, right. Yeah. Or something around that. But yeah, it was like there were new. Or no, maybe it was Karn and then they revealed Magnus. It was one of the two, but it was like, that's yeah. when they started release, releasing. Well, and then they also, foot- yeah, and then they also did like the, at the end of that video, they're like, oh yeah, and by the way, you know, what else is in this trash bin? Oh, there's new sisters in here. And like, yeah, everyone took it as a joke. And then, you know, two years later, we have a, f- you know, full new plastic line of, of, you know, of, uh, of sisters yeah it was the chaos sorcerer it was a plastic chaos sorcerer yeah because he had been yeah they had leaked that and that's when they did the follow-up video it, it was suddenly this change because before that like i mean that was when like fate 212 was like being regularly threatened with shutdowns if they didn't pull like leaked photos and such and yeah. it was such a massive shift away from you know, their past behavior that suddenly it's like, oh, not only are they acknowledging this leak, they're leaning into it, which I, you know, at this point, we don't know, like, are these leaks legit leaks or did they decide to start playing into it with like the potato cam leaks, which they still joke about potato cam these days whenever like oh, for sure. some grainy <laughs> reveal comes out and they're like, oh, no, here's a better picture of it. And, and sure you would. But yeah, that was like that was the sea change in how they addressed things. And yeah. And we've yeah, had, a, sure. and it's been a much healthier company and a much healthier community ever since. Yeah, I mean, it, it's you know we we talked about it with the three D printing stuff last week and a little bit earlier today that like you know supporting the company is something you need to do, but also like GW has to have it go the other way too. Like they have to support the player base, and uh, it's it it works better when both people when both parties are working in concert together. Oh, absolutely. Episode 159, let's see, well, we had 157, which was the Flying Monkey GT, where that's where you bought, brought your uh, Chaos Spartan filled with uh, Berserkers. 
Yeah, I had a blast with that. I actually went what four and two, I think, or five and one, something like that. You you that? did really yeah. well with that list. I, I did really well, except for the one game where I really didn't, <laughs> <laughs> where you got surrounded by gene stealers and <laughs> gene stealer yeah. cultists and beaten it, to death because you're. It you turns out, out when Spartan. you. It turns out when you only have three models, it's very easy to get surrounded by a horde army, <laughs> and then you can't yeah. disembark. And like when things blow up, they just all die. <laughs> and then two episodes later we did our great iron the great iron halo gt group gathering which was us dave from the renegade open the guys from the flying monkeys and we had pablo martinez from uh chapter tactics that was a lot of fun so uh yeah and that's yeah again it's just that whole like we became this like community of podcasters and tournament organizers just like doing stuff together uh, episode 162 we return like this time three of us returned to the renegade open um that was when you took your uh your lord of skulls to the uh, night joust and did very bad yeah. things to everyone <laughs> hey i took uh so much wraith knight yeah all three of us ended up with uh awards for the night joust <laughs> at that event yeah because so. kevin and yep. i were the top two because we were using not night nights <laughs> yep I mean, it worked. <laughs> it, uh, Let's see. Yeah. Episode uh, 171 was our first hobby episode with uh, Alex and Danny. Yeah. Which, I mean, that one, like, the, the couple of hobby episodes we've done have... I think, like, apparently they've been informative because we've had people write back. It's like, what, what, what material? Like, what did he recommend? What should we do? Like, you know, it's like, I, I want to get Alex on for a, a third one because yeah. I, I think well, it's I, time. I, th- I think it's something that, I mean, it, it's obviously challenging to do in an audio format to talk about, like, the painting and the hobby aspect of it. But I think it's something that is underserved. Like, I don't think there's a lot of podcasts that really go into it. Um, you see videos that go into it, um, you know, a lot of painting tutorials and stuff like that. But podcast gives you a much more longer form to be able to dig into topics um, and really kind of get into the into the nuts and bolts. And I think that's something that uh, something that is kind of missing from the space. So it is good mm-hmm. to have you know people like Alex and Dan that have Danny that have uh, you know <laughs> that are much better at this than we are. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, episode 172, I'm pointing this one out because it another bit of sea change in how GW approached things, big FAQ one. When we yeah. started getting regular FAQs, you know, and I know we haven't really had any for 2020, but I think that's because of the lack of events to provide them with hard data to go off of. Well, and I remember when this one, like, we were kind of making the joke that, like, you know, it came out in April, but I believe it was originally scheduled to be out in March. Right. Like it was, it was like a month, month and a half late. And then Adepticon just completely upended it. And they, they permanently modified when the FAQs were coming out. And I think now in theory, cause again, they haven't really released FAQs cause there haven't been events with, with everything going on. But I think now that like they're on a better cycle where they're not doing FAQs right before big events, so they can actually collect feedback and kind of get them out on a when there's like more lulls in the natural calendar of the of events. Yeah. Let's see. Episode 174 again the Midwest Conquest. This one is yeah. important because Thanork. Yeah, 
pan over. <laughs> the best conversion yeah, ever. Like, I'm sorry. I. It was not long before that the the tournament was was happening, and went and saw uh, Infinity War, and just was like, okay, yeah, I have to do this, and went and like on the literally on the the trip home from seeing the movie i stopped by the games workshop and picked up the model so that i could make the conversion and uh i i'm was just (laughs) super happy with how it turned out and like i really really want to make one of my own again so so that i have one to keep (laughs) <laughs> but have, still haven't gotten around to get to it. It's such a cool piece. Well, and we need, and I think as we discussed last episode, we need a, a, a Thanos Marn, Thanos Calgar. I, I think actually right. to, to the go idea with that I'm coming up with for that is not a, a not a Thanos, but an Iron Man. Oh, okay. <laughs> I like it. I dig it. Let's see. And then like we ha- we've had a lot of 8th edition episodes. Again, we had we've had uh, you know, again, more Renegade open. We had the Renegade open 2018, which is the one Richard was able to make, and we actually got to yeah. play uh Blackstone Fortress there, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, we started getting also uh we had it we started getting chapter approved books in 8th edition as well, and that was another a second, Kaiser is barking. And we'll see if he stops. I wonder if somebody is dropping something off. <laughs> Probably. Okay. Uh, but yeah, we you know we we were getting chapter approved chapter approved with updates and beta rules and things like that. Started getting and we got more FAQs. And at this point, we're also just codex after codex after codex after codex after codex. Um, and uh, before long, and then you know we had episode. Well, we had episode two XDX, <laughs> the cursed episode that died halfway through recording. <laughs> um. And then episode, the actual episode 200, um, we had, oh, and before that, right before that, we had episode 199, which was the new Apocalypse version, which I'm sad they haven't done more for that, because that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I it really was, liked it was the new neat. version I, of Apocalypse. I'd like a, a, an opportunity to, to play it again at some point, now that I actually, like, get a better understanding of how the the army is supposed to be built because like the first time i played i really didn't have the army built right <laughs> right yeah it's a different beast than standard 40k it, it is really leaning hard into those into detachment structure but yeah i think if you retooled your army for it you'd probably yeah you'd probably have a better game so I, i'm if you want to do that this summer i'm totally down because i had a lot of fun playing apocalypse and then, yeah, the, uh, let's see, we had episode 205, which was the last Renegade Open we went to. And then uh, 2010, uh, our second Las Vegas Open that we had gone to, for, of two of us. It was our third Las Vegas yeah. Open coverage. And yeah. 
Then t- episode 214, the world is locked down how to 40K when you can't 40K. And that's kind of the, the liminal space we've been existing in for the last 20 episodes. <laughs> but we survived that, and we're here 10 years later. We, we, we have survived it, and we've actually played a couple of... We have played a couple of games in 9th edition, and we've been kind of keeping tabs on it and knowing what's going on, and... Uh, just because we we haven't had a chance to play doesn't mean we can't talk about it. And uh, I mean, we don't know what we're talking about normally, so why should this be? Any yeah. Different? So what has changed? Yeah. And so here we are, episode two hundred and thirty-six. We just finished our getting started series for this, and uh, we're gonna have to figure out some more topics because I don't show any new codexes being released yet. It's not May, so. May's in a week, and Mechanicus has been told, and I still think Sisters is yeah. around the corner. Cross fingers. So they did release, they did put up on the community site uh, next week's preview, and it's um, the the you know preview for the next week is just releases like uh, announcements for releases are coming up. Like there's a new Sisters Battle Sister bulletin, and then the model new model Monday and stuff like that. But so there's no like new product releases, but they are going to be like showing stuff off during the week. So. Yeah. So so yeah, we'll have we'll be coming up with a new topic, but as far as some new topics, uh we had some listeners who had some requests <laughs> for this episode. Uh, and so we're going to run through those. Uh Robert Fennell asked, could we do a clip show, you know, like every TV show does when they're running out of budget. So you know how you guys always start the show with outtakes, well a bit like that, just with you guys explaining what was occurring at the time. Um I'd have to dig through hundreds I mean, we're talking like, you know, seven, eight hundred hours of podcast. And I love you guys, but no. Well, and also, <laughs> Rob picks those from just whatever we are talking about. So, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and thing, here's the thing about out, uh, outtakes. I, I record like one outtake. I try to get one outtake because and it's nothing that we generally try to have happen. It is just... Because th- it is the things we just talk about and, you know, when we're just shooting the shit at the table. Um, I don't keep those as separate audio files after recording. And again, a little bit of inside baseball here. The average file size of the raw audio, because after I record, I get this stuff back in like uh, right now I get it back in like uh, FLAC or AUG format and... When I start processing it in Audacity, it breaks things down into Audacity files, and I export it out in like a couple of different formats to work with, and then and eventually end up with an MP3 to listen to. But the raw files of this, like the last episode, the raw files were about twenty five gigabytes, and so imagine that, but for two hundred episodes or more. Now, like the older episodes aren't that big, but like yeah. I don't You're have us the storage. to do math. Yeah, no, I know it's early on a Sunday, but I don't have like I did a calculation. It'd be roughly five terabytes, five to six terabytes of storage to hold the raw audio for everything we've done. And while that would probably be feasible now, I don't have a lot of that old stuff. I just keep the old the the episode file, like the actual final episode files. So, unfortunately, I can't give you a lot of outtakes, most of that stuff, because there's no cutting room floor. When it gets cut, it goes off into the ether and it's gone. So, um, 
So unfortunately, there I can't give you a clip show. But uh, and also, if we explain the context of the cold openings, that takes away half the fun. <laughs> it really does. Um, let's see. Matthew Hurd writes uh, a five-year retrospective on Codex Imperial Agents. I think we yeah we revisited it already. Cool. So well, and actually, the five-year anniversary isn't until next year, so we can give you a four-year retrospective, and then we'll, we'll revisit it next year, and we'll do a full episode, a full three-hour episode, just breaking down. Well, everything technically, wrong I think it'd be this. I think it's this December. Oh, so, so maybe this December. So, so, <laughs> so yeah, maybe this so December we can tell you about. So. Look forward to the three and a half hour long episode rants about how bad the twenty uh, twenty seventeen codex was. <laughs> so, so, so are you going to be jolly uh, about it, or are you going to be a Grinch? <laughs> uh. It's a bad Let's codex. See. Uh, J- <laughs> Jeremy Hagen requested two straight minutes of Richard's dry wit, followed by two minutes of nothing but Kevin laughing. Uh, two okay, guys, go, two go. minutes. Go. That that's a lot of talking for me, so I don't know. I may pass out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we'd have to we'd have to compile that from multiple episodes, I think, to get two straight minutes. <laughs> Kevin, that's so, not laughing. So there's there's a there's a joke I have told privately, and I will go ahead and tell you listeners now. Is Richard and I think you would agree with me on this is. You have a careful, measured, thoughtful pace when you speak. Yeah, that's true. Which means you pause a lot while you kind of gather your thoughts and say the next thing, which unfortunately does lead to a lot of dead air. And so I have part of what I've learned to do with editing is cut the pauses out of a lot of Richard's lines so that it has just more of a flow. And the thing is, if you take out the pauses, Richard's flow sounds perfectly conversational. You'd never know. And so I've, I have joked that I should release an April Fool's episode of like all of Richard's outtakes and it would just be two hours of silence. Right. <laughs> Let, yeah. You've, you've often said that it's like I have my own buffering. It, it, it's, <laughs> it is a, it is a matter of the, I, I like to usually think about what I say before I say it. So. Which is is fine. Is fine. I I do like the idea of the uh, April Fool's episode of Oops All Pauses. <laughs> <laughs> but see, now that I've given away the joke, I can't do that. So I mean, you no. Could. What you do is after the two hours of silence, we actually put in a little like thirty second blurb. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they used to do that on like ninety CDs, right? Uh, yeah, the hidden track the episode with the hidden track. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Mike Knees asked, thoughts on the current state of competitive Tyranids using two to three Dimacarons? I think this will last until 10th. Um, also, I'll be getting into traveling for tournaments. I've been looking at the KR multi-case line of foams, but still worry about air travel. Any tips? Well, first on the, the Tyranids using two Dimacarons, I, I did look at some reviews on that. And yeah, the Dimacaron is really, really really good for for nids if you're going with like a nidzilla style build because um if one thing it has an invuln save which already makes it superior to pretty much anything in the nids codex when it has a five up invulnerable save in addition each time it moves it basically uh ignores uh models and terrain features so 
Like it's not slowed down by buildings at all. And, uh, yeah, then the Thorax Spine Maw that it has after the model has made close combat attacks before it consolidates. Select an enemy model within engagement range. That model's player rolls D6 and adds their model's strength. If the result is equal to or less than this model's strength characteristic, which is 7, uh, that model's unit suffers D6 mortal wounds. Yeah. And it's a assault-focused unit that has strength 7, toughness 7, 6 attacks base, and is armed with weapons that are plus one strength, AP minus three, D3 plus three damage. Each time an attack is made with this weapon, you can reroll the hit roll. Uh, yes. Yeah. More of those, yeah, please. He's, he's pretty good. I I keep thinking that I, I want to pick one up. Uh, oddly enough, like the couple of times that I was like ready to pull the trigger, like I'd go and they would be out of stock. Because um, that's been... It, it seems to be one of those models that that gets that comes in and out of stock a lot. So uh, I still want to get one eventually. Um, but yeah, he seems really good. I and like when they update the the Tyranid Codex, I mean it. He's not really going to change much, being a Forge World model. So like. Unless they do like the Trigon thing and they actually give him a plastic model and, and put him in the codex, I don't expect him to change really. It, like it'll just be the rest of the codex changing around him. And so like if all the other stuff around him gets a little better, then it'll help the army as a whole, but it really won't. I don't think will I don't think will lessen his effectiveness. No. However, I will say that the Diamarcaron has gone from temporarily sold out yeah. to no longer available. So they're not making him at Forge World anymore. Yeah. Which means either he's going to be released in plastic eventually, which would be awesome. Yeah. Or 3D print that bitch, because uh Yeah. <laughs> there's no you literally can't buy it. Right. So might as well have somebody somebody print it for you. And it looks like there are people who have uh, STL files for it, so maybe you should contact Kevin. I think you know how to get a yeah. hold of him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not available, sorry. <laughs> not available. <laughs> Kevin's not here, man. <laughs> so yes, fantastic, fantastic rules, model no longer available, so hopefully they won't legends it. So, will it last until 10th? Mm, that's a that's a big yeah. if, <laughs> then, if uh, with it no longer available. Um, as far as, uh, traveling to tournaments and, uh, as for like air travel, I have traveled with my KR cases via air travel, mm-hmm. uh, and as they worked I. really well. Yeah. And they worked really well. Um, one thing I've actually been told by KR multi-case themselves is if you are traveling, like your first instinct may be, oh, I'm going to get the, uh, the metal case to surround my, my foam cases. Cause that'll be more sturdy, you know, it'd be a, you know, rather than cardboard, and they they actually say no don't you do not want to use an aluminum case for flying because aluminum cases get dinged up because they get tossed around by luggage handlers and that can cause the clasps to not line up properly anymore which will yep. mean it doesn't hold together which means your models will get dumped all out inside the interior of the airplane so you are better off getting like one of their kaiser backpacks like the Kaiser cases or the backpacks and just getting the cardboard cases inside those. Yeah. And the, the Kaiser three 
will fit in the carry-on of most most uh, you know the overhead compartments for most airplanes. So as long and as if you can stay with the two or the three on the Kaiser case, you can just carry it on, and you won't have any problems. Yeah, but I've actually like I transported my sister's like, and I didn't use it as carry-on. I I checked it, you know, did as checked luggage, and when I when we got to Vegas, like the first things I did was I unpacked my army, and I think only two like. Two models were minorly damaged in a way for me to glue back together. Not, like when I brought glue with me just in case, because you always bring repair stuff when you travel to a tournament. Well, and, and those are metal models. So honestly, even if we had driven up to like Minnesota for Renegade Open, you probably would have had two models you would have had to have repaired. Right. So, um, yeah, the KR cases worked fantastically. I've traveled to Vegas a couple of times with them with no problems. Um, I traveled, I think I took my tau last time and uh yeah because i did like a far sight and shadow sun army last That's time right, yeah. and yeah i didn't have any problems so um yeah just yeah go with the, the kaiser three and a three case arm will hold unless you have a couple of very large weird shaped models uh three will hold most armies i mean three will even hold Three KR cases, like the cardboard cases, will even hold like five Imperial Knights and two Armagers. So, uh, I mean, depending on what army you bring, you should have the space to fit it in there. And if it's a smaller army, even better. Like if you can carry it in in two cases, like my Blood Angels army fits in a Kaiser too. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot, lots of ways to to pack that. But yeah, the KR cases just get the soft like the bags or the backpacks and then just put in the, the cardboard cases and it'll handle air travel just fine. Yeah. Uh, Eric Kakei says the original intro that sounds like everyone in Rob's living room. You don't want that. If you really want to go back and get that feel, there's 49 episodes for you to listen to and actually listen to a little bit of episode 50 and we were not good <laughs> at microphones yet either. So, uh, well, and it was mostly in my basement, not Rob's living room. I don't, yeah, yeah, we always recorded, like, there's been a couple of, like, I think uh, Kevin and I have recorded at least one, ep- or we've recorded a couple episodes, I think Richard's been over for one also, up in our kitchen, uh, when, like, Dennis was out of town, like, when you were out of town right. and unavailable, we'd record at my house. I don't but, I don't know what you're well, talking about, Rob, we're really good at mic technique, like, I never move away from the mic when I'm talking or anything like that, so we're, we're, we're professionals now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not pulling. I mean, we're, we've got Patreon, but we're not pulling regular paychecks. So no, we're still in this for the love of the game. <laughs> but it is just a skill you learn over time. You you learn microphone microphone discipline and yeah. distance, and and then you switch to Yetis, and you have to learn it all over again because the microphone in a Yeti is not located where you might think it is. Right. Because <laughs> it looks like it should be at the tip of the microphone, but it's not. It's like right at the base where like it joins the rest of the body. So. Or, like, where the grill joins the rest of the body. Um, let's see. Trey Swanson, opinions on the state of the game right now, what you would like to see coming out that we don't know about. Um, uh, that's a pretty, like, I wish I could... My my opinion on the state of the game right now is that we don't quite have enough data yet, although we've been, you know, events have been run in uh, Australia and New Zealand and a few other parts of the world. And what we've seen from that is that uh, in general, the balance of ninth edition is really good. 
although there are a few armies that we we've talked about like tau and tyranids and such that aren't well designed for this environment yet um those are the things and really like there's not a lot in the way of like models or such other than um old models that need to be redone like most of the eldar line um but it, it's really just getting the rest of the armies updated to the new design philosophy would be the main thing that I would want to see. But uh, I'm also excited to see the new sister stuff that's you know coming out because we know it's coming. But I, I, I do want to see more of that. I will echo Rob of, yes, Eldar need, need some rework. I don't know if they're coming or not. I'm just hoping. Um, new sisters, I, I think, are right around the corner. I'm excited to see them since I started picking up the army thanks to the Pidey and Pain box. So those are my big things to take away, hopes. Yeah, I'd, I'd be excited to see, uh, you know, what a new Tyranids Codex would look like and if I'd to to add any, any new units or anything to them. Um, it's been quite a while since they've gotten anything really new yeah I, I think aside from like the biggest thing of just getting replacing old models specifically for eldar um because there's they just have so many models that need to be upgrade updated um aside from that and like updating like berserkers and just the older generation of models i really want to start seeing units get uh, new units come in for these uh, existing armies um you know Another another Cadian uh Cadian Guardsman regiment. Upgrade sprues to be able to make, you know, to customize uh Space Marine chapters or, or regiments and things like that. Like to give every army the flexibility that like Space Marines have. Because right now you can basically buy the line of models and then customize them for any chapter. I really want to start seeing that for all of these other factions too, because we're finally in a place where rules exist for these sub-factions. So now let's, you know, make it easier for people to start making those models and making those kits. Um, you know, and we've seen hints at that, like with the, like, Savage Orc stuff that's, you know, been teased a little bit here and there. But, like, that's the stuff that I want to see is where they take... Once they get everything updated to Ninth Edition, where do they take the, the, the game and the models and the armies going forward? Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it's... it's where What is that... Uh unexplored territory. I mean, I think we we get some of that in some of the side games. Like, Necromunda, I think, gives them another space to examine those ideas that maybe don't work great for a whole army, but work great as, like, small gang sides mm -hmm. stuff. Um, also, there one other thing I think I would really like to see that we haven't heard anything of other than they appear in other games like in Blackstone Fortress, but Traitor Guard, I think, is something that people would like to really see. Yeah, and and squads. And they used to have rules. Reset the squat. Re reset the reset clock. the squat clock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, ever since they put out a squat in resin for Necromunda, I think the squat clock's been officially like retired because they right. did the one, and so that's considered good. Let's see. From Dan Robertson, Dan writes: How has 40k changed over time? Best and worst change, and how has your hobby changed? Would be cool to hear your journeys. Well, we talked a little bit of that about where we've started. And we did do our episode at the end of 2019, talking about the last 10 years of 40K. So I think that would, like, rather than try to re-describe re all that now, because 
obviously with 2020, we haven't played on enough of it to really say a lot has changed since then. Although I think ninth edition has been a generally positive uh, set of changes because uh, it does address I mean, a lot I'll of toss in some, Rob. Like, I still think, in my opinion, one of my worst changes is having losing bikes from being troops and now they're fast attack for Eldar. Because that, that was my whole theme. I'm just going to do a fast Windrunner army. And now with the change to fast, suddenly they lose objective secured. And now with the change to instead of three units, you only get two. I, I can't really run a full jet bike army anymore. And that kind of makes me sad. Okay, fair, fair. And how has my hobby changed? Um, there's a lot more of it. Um, <laughs> my painting, believe it or not, is actually better than it was um, when we started this stuff 10 years ago. And well, I can't say put, I'm putting together models better because, well, that seems to be the same. But so, yeah, just experience and time and growing and I've gotten better. Okay. I guess in that regard, yeah, I've like I I've done more airbrushing stuff like i've definitely stepped up my hobby game from when i started as evidenced by the couple of best painted awards i have but um but like like how has 40k changed over time i mean i think i think the biggest difference was G- games workshop actually trying to make it a a good play like it was mm-hmm. a fun game before but actually trying to make it a functional adjustable living easily rebalanced game has been a huge huge change and the fact that they keep on they've been doing what they can to keep on top of that has been a huge bane the worst change worst change was seventh edition formations i'll just put that like no seventh edition was not a good edition for the game it drove it actually burned a lot of people out it drove a lot of people away um, I think eighth edition was a good, good palate cleanser after seventh edition. So yeah, like worst worst change was the addition of formations. The best change has been just the general realignment and and new philosophy the Games Workshop has towards the game. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that the way that GW has engaged with the community, I think is is a good change. But I also think that like the rise of the ITC has been a good change for the health of the hobby too, because, you know, that, that time when GW kind of abdicated a little bit of their responsibilities on maintaining the, maintaining the community, the ITC really stepped up and provided the framework for these events to happen and grow. And, uh, you know, they've obviously benefited as well because they sell mats and they sell, you know, terrain and things like that. But I, I think that all kind of merged to set the stage for, uh, where we're at now in ninth edition, which I think is, you know, in general, a very, very good place. Yeah. I, I think one of the biggest changes, uh, that we've seen in the last 10 years is like the quality of the models has progressed oh, yeah. so amazingly. Like, oh, yeah, if, very much. If so. you think about just even the way, like a basic tack marine looked 10 years ago versus what a, a tack marine looks like now. Like the design is still the same, but like I, there's just a crispness to the games workshop sprues now that just makes the models look pretty amazing. And the, and their design space and 
and how they've like pushed just what models look like. Like it, the, like the Illuminator Zeris model, like that you have now versus the Illuminator Zeris original model <laughs> is, is like, it, it's just kind of ridiculous. Oh yeah. And you consider like the, uh, the like the greater demons for chaos compared to the the old like because a long time it was oh, just the old old so versions better. yeah the new ones look fantastic um the old keeper of secrets was horrible oh gosh yes it was <laughs> um the well hell a perfectly good new example bellacor the old yeah. bellacor versus the new bellacor and I mean, same basic design, you know, same like character is the same, obviously, but the new one, besides just being, you know, larger, um, is just, yeah, like you said, Richard, there's a lot of crispness in the details and, and you know, metal models were generally pretty decent for getting crisp design work, but like the new plastics look phenomenal. Um, the, the risks they take on some of design too, like, uh, Celestine being balanced on a couple of ribbons of cloth, you know, of like parchment, <laughs> or you know, like some some the of the incarn. Oh God, yeah, the incarn being surrounded by swirling, you know, soul stuff. Yeah, some of the models they're doing things that were unbelievable. Like if you had shown me when we started the show that somebody did this model, it's like how nobody does that. Like you can't do that with plat. Like it's just impossible. Well, they figured out how. And it's amazing. It also means the models are a little on the finicky and delicate side, but I think that's a fair trade-off. Um, let's see. Uh, and then our last one from Zalthios. Uh, this is on, from Twitter. Uh, what were your high and low lights of the hobby in the in those ten years? What armies have you started, and which had to leave the comfort of your KR cases? What has kept you in the hobby for so long, and what? was it that made you create content so routinely can't wait for number 236 well i think we've kind of talked about what has kept us going and it has been you know the 40k as the friends we've made along the way and the community so I, I think that's that is what has kept us in the hobby for so long and just also because you know we we enjoy it and we like doing it together to get back to an earlier yeah. email uh highlights and lowlights i mean there's a lot of like like highlights like what whatever is the the coolest model I've painted at that point like <laughs> there have been things that I I was happy with when I first did it that like now I'm like well yeah that was good then and now I'm even better I don't know if I've had any hobby low lights I mean, that's you know like ho like hobby disappointments like I I've had a couple of models that have been broken and such and those have been, that sucked but uh, but as far as like armies I've Armies that I got started and never finished, Imperial Guard. <laughs> for, for a brief time, I really thought about doing a guard army. I got a, a lot of, like an allotment of used, used and partially assembled guard stuff, and I started working on it, and then I realized that it's just, it wasn't the army for me. And so, like, that's that's the closest thing I've gotten to an army where I've started it and then gotten rid of it. I have, like, I gave away my Black Templars as a charity raffle army after trying unsuccessfully to sell it for a couple of years. But I don't feel bad about that army. I Like, I'm very happy with how, how that army looks and, and, you know, how it came together. So it's like, 
that one I just got rid of because I wanted to move on to something else, but I couldn't justify it until I got rid of that one. Um, but you I still have our what? Oh yeah, I did. I did get. <laughs> I did splash. Well, that was a that was a sixth edition thing. <laughs> Where like like I'm going to splash in Eldar to cover the weak spot in my Tau, and <laughs> it was okay. And then they, but then they changed how whether Eldar and Tau were uh, right. allies and or were battle brothers, and so it's like okay, now this doesn't work anymore. And I'll, but that was like a unit of Dire Avengers and Eldrad and a couple <laughs> of Warwalkers. So like it wasn't like a big thing. Oh, and I suppose uh, technically, I did give these away, uh, or I sold them. Uh, my world eaters, right? To some sucker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's worked out pretty well for me. Who, <laughs> yeah, who then took them to four and two at Flying Monkey? So I mean, <laughs> I don't know, five and one, five and one. Oh, was it five and one over Flying Monkey? Yeah, because I only lost the one match. I just got hammered really badly. Yeah. <laughs> And Kevin, you were the third owner of that army. Right. Yes, you were. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what though? I at this point, I believe I finally have all of those corn berserkers actually painted. <laughs> there you I go. I think I finally. Ooh. I think now they are all finally painted. <laughs> Little victories. Yeah, it only took a decade. <laughs> um, so, Kevin, how about you? What's your highs and lows? I mean, and what armies have you started? Besides all of them. Yeah. I mean, highlights, I think, have definitely been, like, going to events and, like, that Flying Monkey where I went five and one and then the, the even the Iron Halo, or not Iron Halo, Renegade Open where I technically finished in the top 16, but I heavy finger quote that because I went two and four. Um, I had a lot of fun at those events. I learned a lot. Like, it's fun to win games, you know, which turns out to be, you know, be fun. Um as far as, like, armies that I've started that I never really kind of, like, ha- ha- kept with, it's actually probably Tau. Like, I have a lot of stuff that I've bought for my Tau army since 6th edition. Like, the um, Storm Surge and Ghost Keel and, like, the new Crisis suits that I've never built. And, like, they're still in the box. They, you know, I haven't built them. I, I, at one point, I actually sold off some of the unopened boxes that I had. So, like, if I were to go back to my town now, I would probably want to go buy it. Like, need to buy a new Storm Surge um, or Ghost Keel. Because I, I played that army nonstop for all of 5th edition and got relentlessly hammered into the ground with it. And then I played them in 6th edition after they got the uh, uh, Riptides and was really good and, and had a really fun play style for me with it, but it was very static and very kind of boring to play. And I just, I have not yet felt the desire to go back to my towel. And like, I don't have any, you know, I have much more dynamic armies that I would rather be playing right now. So Tau's probably the army that I, that I've started that I haven't done that I've done the least with once I moved away from them. For for me, I think as far as uh, like highlights go, um, I mean there was there was Dan work. I I really that was <laughs> yeah he, yeah, he, he was, was awesome. one of my favorites. Um, and uh, the chance to get to actually field uh, a green tide in Apocalypse the one time that I did 
was was pretty memorable. Um, I that. I mean, yeah, I don't. Low lights, maybe putting together Dan's metal Thunderfire cannon. <laughs> oh God, yeah, that thing. I remember that. that. That was that was a lot of that was a oh. lot of work. That was that wasn't really worth it. <laughs> <laughs> that and, and I've got a bunch of different armies that, like, I still have, uh, you know, some ultramarine stuff that. Like I've I bought and I put together a few things, but I haven't really I haven't really painted any of them. I haven't had a plan for how I specifically want to structure the army. They they've just kind of are are in a box that is now collecting dust. That at some point I'd like to go back to, but you know. And then I'd had the idea of. Back in in sixth edition, that that whole you know allies thing, I, I kind of wanted to do some guard to to ally in with my orcs, so I had a little bit better shooting. And I bought like the uh, it was the the toughest toughest girls in the galaxy line from Heroes. I bought a bunch of those, and but I I still have never really got those put together, and I don't know that I have the right stuff to actually structure and, and build an actual guard army out of them. They're, they're ideas that I'd like to go back to at some point, but they're just like way, way back burner at this point. Okay, I guess for me then, highlight, I'm still going to put the games day we went to for one main reason, because that was when I got my first two Forge World models that was um, Zerachniel and the um, Wraithseer. And those are still two of my favorite models to this day. I love using them when I can, even though Zerachniel needs a little work after the move. Repairs, I guess I should say. But no, those are those fun. Low light, I would say, is just fighting burnout. Because every once in a while, you, you, you're you just going to feel burned out, and you just have to, I don't want to say push through it, but just kind of take a step back, refocus, refresh, and come back. So I think each one of those is a low light, but I think all of us have experienced that and have come out of it. And because you said, like we said, we, we do this together. Yeah. Which armies have I started and which ones have gone, left the comfort of KR? Um, I don't want to say a hoarder. That's not the right word, but I don't get rid of any armies. I've thought about it a couple of times, but I have not. Um, so I have way too many to count between all the Eldar flavors now Custodes, Space Wolves, Death Watch, and technically I know you guys will say I technically have Chaos Knights and Chaos Space Marines because I splashed them into my Slanesh army. <laughs> and I've now started up Sisters, and technically I probably have a couple extra things. To, if I wanted to start Imperial Knights, I could, but none of that's put together. So, yeah, I've got more that could be coming. Um, more than I can play in a, a month, maybe in a year, but... I like the models, and so I still keep them. Well, and if you like it, that's the important thing, you know. So Right. And they don't take up that much space because KR makes it nice and compact. Yes, they do. Um, and I have... I keep hemming and hawing. I mean, I've got enough projects that I'm working on, but I still have part of a Mechanics' army that is staring... Well, it's not staring at me. It's in a box, but it wants to be made, and I keep trying to fight, like, do I sell it or do I 
do I just go ahead and bite the bullet and make what I already have and play it if like If I'm honest, Death Watch is what's feeling that for me because I haven't played it for so long and I'd probably play Space Wolf or Custodes over Death Watch right now. Mm-hmm. Sad tear. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think at this point that pretty much uh, wraps up our discussion of the last 10 years of Preferred Enemies. Uh, how long does this thing keep going? I guess until we all completely burn out on it, which I don't know if that happens. You know, I like I said, I don't have an exit strategy on this. Uh, <laughs> this is this is a thing I'm just going to keep. We're all doing. in different retirement homes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like 20th edition. Tyranids <laughs> uh, I mean, that is still aren't good. <laughs> That is one of the nice things about this, though, is that, like, as long as GW continues to support the hobby and the community, like, there is no end date. Like, there's no reason why this can't just continue on in perpetuity. So, yeah, like, I think that's that's one of the things that I like about it. And that's one of the reasons why I'm still why I'm still engaged in it. Well, yeah, and they've if this had been old, old school bad guy GW, I think we might have put it up by now. Honestly, yeah. I think yeah. we would have run out of things to to really talk about in a meaningful way, and the or community moved to was, a different game. Yeah, or moved on to a different game. We did be a completely different show, um, but you know, GW has managed to um, keep this like you know, twenty seventeen. They they turned around and made this a very different environment and it's helped make the last three years of the show, even in the middle of a pandemic when we can't get together in person and play had made it possible to just like stay upbeat and interested and engaged in this hobby. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a long trip, but as long as the game is enjoyable and there's new, new things to explore and new takes on existing things and things getting revisited and stuff like that. As long as they can keep that going, I don't see us stopping anytime soon. So hopefully here's to many, here's to many more years of content. And thank you to very much to all the listeners, uh, the ones who sent in audio, the ones who write in letters, uh, the ones who gave us suggestions of this episode, the ones who just show up as counts on our number of list of downloads and listeners, um, to everybody who, who listens to the show has listened to the show is going to listen to the show. Uh, this is like our thanks to you because that is the thing that has made it the most worthwhile to me has been being part of the community getting to help promote events getting to meet the people behind them getting to to meet listeners getting to to play with people and just getting to be part of this entire community in some fashion has been my absolute pleasure and i'm and i think i would be speaking for everyone here when i say you you all help make this one of the the best parts of our hobby of our personal hobby yes and yep thank we love you it. All. well and, and i you all i do want to say one other thing. <laughs> oh, I, I, I do want to add one thing real quick before <laughs> i do want to add one thing real quick there like uh you know that 
and I agree with everything you just said, but I also want to take the moment and like actually point out how much work Rob does for the podcast because the other three of us literally just show up, you know, every two weeks and talk for a couple hours. Rob is the one doing all of the editing and putting things together. And like, you know, he updates the Facebook posts and he updates the website and like Patreon and like all of these things that he does that are, that are things that like we don't, you know, that we don't do like we help out and we do other things, but this, this wouldn't happen. This wouldn't have lasted as long if Rob wasn't as engaged in making it happen. Um, so I, I, I definitely want to like call that out and say thank you because that's help help keep me engaged because I don't have to do all of the hours of editing. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and I, I will echo this. So, so Rob, here's my tip of the cap. Thank yes. you for being the heart and soul and putting this we, on. We wouldn't have done ten years. I, I hope that we do another ten years, and it's all <laughs> thanks to you. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it, guys. It's. It's it is hard work, but it's it is totally worthwhile. I enjoy doing it, so it's not a problem. And I'm glad to do it for you guys, and I'm glad to do it for the listeners. So thank you very much. In fact, this episode, I think we're going to skip a morale phase because you guys are the morale phase. The, you are the things outside of 40k that I have in, that I enjoy. Is I have I have some of the best friends who have indulge me over the last 10 years when i said hey let's do a podcast um hey let's do a podcast hey, and you're still my friends hey, 10 years later you know that's, that's like 10 years later you're not sick of me yet so uh, i appreciate it um i do want to do hobby progress though so yes you finish that up um hobby progress uh so i i have finally i finally have like 750 points of daughters of cain assembled and painted and fully based and sealed for age of sigmar so that is awesome um i have and i've started putting together the next batch of stuff for that army because uh, I'm, I'm i'm now like i finished a big big chunk of painting so now i'm into an assembly and priming mode um i have two new models to build and paint in it sitting in a box next to me because um i am going to be building and painting Bellacor for our friend crew at our friendly local game store. And in payment, he paid me with a Bellacor. So I will also have a Bellacor. So I've got two of, two of that bad boy to put together. Um, hopefully I, I also need to put together the Mortarian that he paid me to paint his Mortarian. So if it, that, that one might, I might do Bellacor and Mortarian first, and then take what I learned on his Bellacor to do my Bellacor. Um, not that I'm going to try to do a bad job on his Bellacore. I will try to do a very good job and then refine it further. And then, um, last or a couple of weeks ago is like right before, or it was just, it was while I was in the editing process for, um, our last episode, we had some gutter work done and it was part of the gutter that was being replaced was on the side of the garage, which is the room in which I do my hobby work. And, they were hammering in like they were attaching the last piece of gutter and they were banging against the wall. And on top of my painting area, I have a large about inch deep wooden piece of artwork that has the, like the schematics for a tie fighter from star Wars on it. And the last thump they did of attaching the gutter caused that piece of artwork to tumble down and fall directly onto my painting table (laughs) where, all my stuff was <laughs> and somehow 
out of all the models I had on the table, only four were damaged. Two of them, parts just, they were plastic models where parts had come, like, parts had come off, but they came off at join. So I was able to re-glue them. In fact, like, one of them was the Cauldron of Blood for my daughter's, Daughters of Cain. One of the pieces that, like, the pieces that came off were, like, the two witch elves climbing down the stairs on this thing, but I had painted them separately and then glued them on. So it wasn't the tightest bond of glue anyway. So I was like able to put those back on. I had one witch elf that I had to completely replace. And these are the old metal witch elves because it had landed on her sword arm and bent it on in a way that I could not repair. But the la- the saddest model that I lost was a few years ago when I first said I was going to do Blood Blood Angels and I was working on Death Company. A listener sent me a fully painted um, Astrath the Grim to use as a gift. He's like, I'm not using this model and I know you're going to be using it. And so he sent that to me. And unfortunately, the other model that was the other model that it came directly down on and he's i've been able to piece most of him back together because it's a fine cast model and the one problem is his at his executioner's axe is just gone i don't know where it is it is somewhere in here (laughs) on the floor somewhere but i have no idea and i haven't i haven't like it's probably under a shelf or something but He's basically irreparable right now without it. So um, that makes me a bit sad. But otherwise, you know, everything survived pretty well. Um, And then I went ahead and ordered, and I know it'll be a couple of weeks because of, like, their, their, because of 2020, their process has slowed down. But uh, I ordered new bases from Secret Weapon Minis for all my sisters so I can rebase them onto 32 mils because it's time. And to go along with that, uh, I have also ordered my KR, like 16 cases of KR stuff for uh, storing my various new painting projects and or retooling my existing storage. Because like with my sisters, because I'm rebasing them on the 32 mils, the 25 mil wide slots that they're in won't fit anymore. So I had to redo all that storage as well. So uh, that is arriving in a couple of weeks or so. So uh, that is that is done, and uh, the process of getting all my storage re- retooled can begin. <laughs> yeah, I ordered uh, about as much KR stuff as well for and like in advance of me preparing to move and stuff like that. And uh, funny thing for me is that uh, I ordered as much as you did, but that was about half of what I need to order. So <laughs> at some point I'll need to place another order, but uh, yeah. Uh, I I still have other armies to like. I need to order more stuff for my Tau eventually, yeah. and I've got a couple of armies that aren't fully covered by what I ordered. So it's like it, there's there's more to go. But yeah, yeah I, I only had I had to be, I cut it off somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. Um. I once I get this order in and I, I get everything situated and organized, uh, and in the cases, then I'll kind of reevaluate and see what I need. Uh, for the move, and, I, and I'm not moving until, you know, October, so I've got time, but I'm kind of planning on, you know, I'm trying to plan in advance for that, so I have all of that stuff ready to go, much easier to transport uh, when I'm ready with it. Otherwise, it's just been assembling uh, some models that I've bought in recently, like I've picked up 
Um, I picked up the Pariah Nexus box. Um, so I put together the heavy intercessors, uh, from that, which were great models. Like they, they went together very easily. There's a lot of extra bits and stuff in there. And then I put together the flayed ones and the flayed ones are freaking nightmares to put together. Like they are <laughs> awful. Um, they're really neat looking models. They're really customizable. Like there's a lot, they're cool, but my God, they are a pain in the ass. So that's, that's been fun. Um, I've also been trying to find, um, track down death watch sprues because I'm making all of my primary stuff death watch. And, uh, you know, I need, it, it sucks because I need the terminator shoulder pads for the heavy intercessors. So like, I need to buy like three or four more sprues to get like the six shoulder pads that I need. And I'm like, there needs to be a more efficient way to get the terminator shoulder pads, but I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> it, it, it is. It's called 3d printing. Yeah, the the <laughs> no, you're, you're exactly right. The problem is, is that I my the 3D printers that I have are all FDM printers, and they're all the way I use them is I am very like kind of fast and sloppy with them. So like they're more keyed in for doing terrain, right? Um, and bigger projects like that. If I were to do bits like actual replacement bits because i've tried a couple times before and it's never really worked if i were to like take one and key it in and really do like replacement bits i would want to get a a resin printer and resin printers are not expensive um you know i could afford one i i can afford the resin i would be able to do it the problem is in my current apartment there is no place that i'm comfortable printing resin um because you know if i spill it or if something happens uh, then I'm getting it all over like the rug or the wall or the apartment that I, you know, will have to eventually turn back over. So, right. um, I, that's my holdup is like, I would love to get a resin printer and I will eventually, but I can't do it in the place I'm at right now. Just cause I just do not have the space for it. Yeah. That that's understandable. Okay. I guess for me, I've actually had good priming weather here in Dallas. So I've gotten, a lot of the sisters primed and started painting them. I still have a bunch to put together, but that's like you said, Rob, the process put together, assemble, prime, paint in, in that order. <laughs> um, then also I hunted down a crimson court for Warhammer Underworlds yesterday and I got them also primed. So that's going to be another one of my projects to try and get painted in the next couple weeks. What color are you going with your sisters? I'm going to guess purple, going, but I may be wrong. Uh, you're halfway right. I, I'm kind of going with my Banshee color of just like bone white outfit with purple tabards and gold trims. You know, that's a good paint scheme, and I highly recommend it. Um. <laughs> I know. <laughs> for for me on Hobby Progress, I, I finally got the uh, Lord of Virulence in and and put him together and he's he's pretty cool uh and then i found to go along with all my uh gene stealer cult uh jackals that i put together i i i found finally found the box for my my alphas so i got i got her put together oh cool well i think that pretty much does it for this episode. So uh, come back in a couple of weeks when we are we we really begin in uh, in on year eleven 
and uh, we will figure out something to talk about while we wait for GW to uh, start up their their release schedule again. So, uh, yeah. Until then, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. Good night, good gaming, and thank you for listening to us for 10 years and hopefully for many more. Good night. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.